There's Dead Fishes, Michael Caine, Clive Owen, and Pull My Finger. So long, Ruby Tuesday. This week, it's Children of Men on Nothing Good. Well, hello, Mr. Brown. Hello, Doc. How's Welcome it going? to Nothing Good. Uh, yeah, it is nothing good going on today, man. There is nothing good ever going on, especially when the two of us have a microphone. Yes, two microphones. Two microphones, Actually. yes, yes. This ain't no stingy operation here. <laughs> uh, welcome to episode... No, it's not. Welcome to episode two of Nothing Good, and today um, we're going to talk about one of the most important films... That either of us have ever seen in our entire lives. Very true. Children yeah. of Men. Spoiler alert. There will be spoilers. Oh, the, yeah. Like, listen, the movie came out, uh, what, 14, 15 years ago? Yeah, yeah. And we gave you ample warning. <laughs> yeah, you're not yeah. going to stumble upon this. Chances are you've seen it. And if you haven't and you're still listening, I feel no sympathy. Shame on you. You should no see sympathy. it. It's excellent. Pause the, pause the podcast and just go watch it. It's like an hour and like 50-some minutes long. It's worth your time. I'm going to actually say, if you're going to pause this podcast, wait 30 seconds so I can uh, guilt you for not having seen the film before now. (laughs) What the fuck is wrong with you? So many things. Your mother would be ashamed of you knowing that you went on to this podcast. You listened to this about a review and a remembrance of a film and you haven't even bothered to fucking see it. God damn it. How dare you i used to think that your father was disappointed in you for a different reason maybe it's what your job is maybe it's the car you drive but no that look your father gives you at christmas across the table at thanksgiving when he looks at you is not because he's disappointed in you and you never really lived up to his standard no he looks at you disappointed because you've never fucking seen children of men it's the fucking that that really does it right there you know, generally i find that it's the fucking that always does it <laughs> but um uh so i think uh for the new audience i think it's pretty obvious that we're not family friendly so this is not a family this is not a fucking family show no you take that shit and get the hell out yes you know what i think we should also keep it in mind for the next 15 let's time it 30 seconds <clears throat> yeah let's say nothing but fuck <laughs> fuck fuck Fucking hell. Fuck. 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 <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's yeah, good. It felt good. good. I feel dirtier now. So what are we drinking uh, before we begin our episode? Just set the mood. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is <clears throat> Arsenal Cider House um, Orange Blossom Vent Blend Meat, which I've never had meat before. This is Doc's first meat. Yeah. It's his virgin meat experience. No artificial flavorings or concentrate ever which i guess is important i guess so i don't think we really need to read the entire can well i mean it was they they put it pretty bold on the can i mean yeah i read it i mean hey it's gluten-free it's gluten take that shit out it's gluten-free yes (laughs) (laughs) ain't no gluten up in our mean let's crack it let's get it real oh yeah spray it doesn't smell like a damn thing but that's a good sign now ready for the most unbelievably pleasant audio experience you're gonna have you might want to just mute this don't mute this please mute this you better take it out later (laughs) are you ready here we go no one is 
How do you feel about that? Is it meaty? So that was all uh, Mr. Brown there, obviously? No, it wasn't. I haven't taken a sip yet because I was mortified at the noises you were making. Now I'm going to try it. Okay. I'm gonna, he's sipping it. He's looking. He's thinking. Tell us. Tell us what you need. It's good. All right. A lot of build up for that. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Let's spit it out. God, you're, you're, so out of here. you're so verbose. You're so verbose. I try. This is the quality programming you can expect from Nothing Good, where mm-hmm. you listen to us drink things and then not say anything. So, God bless. Before you. we get this, how are you doing today, though? I'm all right. I'm good. You know, living alive, breathing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah. But I find at least several times a day uh-huh. that I find that breath comes into my body, and then after a brief pause, it exits my body. Uh-huh. And then after that ordeal, it does it all over again. And most of the time, and this is really fucking shocks me, uh-huh. I'm not even aware that it's happening. It's like right, it's automatic. You, do you have the same experience? It's like a really automatic experience. Like oh there's an entire god. system in your body that's doing things for you that you don't even have to do yourself. Like, oh my god. Now I'm completely aware <laughs> of all the functions that my body was. Like, did you realize there's like just there's fluids yeah. flowing in your body right oh, now? Oh man, so many fluids. It, like so, there's entire systems designed to help you flow those fluids. So many fluids. Yeah. I enjoy it though. But speaking of fluids, let's like make this conversation fluid and let's move on to our main event. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. The important film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Children of Men. Uh, Children released of Men. Uh, December 25th, 2006. 2006. See, now that's interesting. It's a Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, and as you were just mentioning right before we, we just started recording this bad boy, uh, normally, here at least in the United States, uh, Christmas Day or Christmas Week is a huge day for releases. You know, it's everything they want to get out for that Oscar cutoff, big budgets for families that have the week off or mm-hmm. don't go anywhere. They usually... Uh, pummel the box office with releases in christmas but 2006 uh, as you looked into was a was a bit of a different story yeah uh and, and listen full disclosure i'm talking cursory level of <laughs> research that I, will i ever do for this stuff yeah uh i just did a very quick uh google search because i realized i hadn't looked it up during my previous research and only two movies had released that day but that's still doesn't sit well with me. No. Which was uh, Children of Men and Black Christmas. And I'm thinking to myself, there's got to be something else that released. And I looked. I couldn't find anything. But I could have looked a little harder. Don't care enough to. Dear listener, if you can think of anything else that was released Christmas uh, week in 2006, we invite you to keep that shit to yourself. We've already <laughs> recorded this. It's You're a little late, late to now. the fucking game. We will not be revisiting this Mm-mm. subject. No, nope, it's gone. <laughs> it's out there now. When yeah. this is over, we shout discuss this again no. so too late you missed your opportunity uh so the movie was directed by alfonso Cuaron, which mm. i feel like i i'm not pronouncing his last name correctly uh there's gonna be a lot of that happening in this episode <laughs> well maybe maybe not uh, uh the screenplay was by multiple people i'm not gonna uh, name all of them there's like five of them uh but the book uh, the, but it was based on a book by uh pd james from 1992 which i did not know i did not know and, which is pretty uh, interesting at the conclusion of this episode i will be amazoning that to my house fun fact i rented that book from the library years ago years ago after i'd seen the film mm-hmm. and could not get through it oh. it's not like the the movie at all like and, and then oh. now doing the research i did come to find out uh like Outside of names of characters and the basic overall plot, 
like yeah. what's happening in the world. It is not the same. Very similar to The Running Man, which was written by uh, Stephen King as Richard Bachman, which has very little similarity to The Running Man <laughs> starring Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, and Jesse the Body Ventura, uh, which is, for those who haven't seen that film, we'll cover that one day. Uh, it's an incredible masterpiece, a love letter to the 80s while inside the 80s. It's, But yes, very similar, one of those very loosely... Based uh, Alfonso Cuarón, the director, those will know from his uh, most notable other work previous to this, Harry Potter and a Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah, and Gravity. And Gravity, which was an up. excellent film. <clears throat> very Sandra Bullock floating around for a while. It's a really good movie. It is. I, it was very good. However, uh, I think I was a little too drunk to have seen it the first time, oh, well. so I immediately got motion sick about twenty-five <laughs> minutes in the movie. And I had to do this. You know, you drink too much and you go to bed and you got to put one foot on the floor so the room stops spinning. That's how I felt 40 minutes into Gravity. And I don't think I ever came back down. Well, fortunately, I saw it sober and it was an excellent experience. Uh, And actually, um, useless information about this film, but also connects to Gravity. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this movie came out in 2006. Uh, Apparently, it was a very tumultuous filming experience, production, whatever. But the movie came out. It cost... Mind you, uh, I believe like seventy-six million dollars to make this movie. Okay, it only grossed seventy million. So it is a bomb. Oh, it is a it massive is a commercial bomb. flop. So let's just go ahead and say that one of the best and most important films that you and I have ever seen was a commercial disappointment, yeah. to say the least. To the point where uh, the director, uh, Kieran, did not make another feature film until Gravity in two thousand thirteen. Oh, he got that stank on he, him. He like just. Done. Oh yeah, for that, uh, because this is not video. Uh, Herb just dusted his hands off yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got the stank of a box office bomb yeah. on him. Mm. And it's uh, it's a really it's really interesting how that how that plays out. But uh, it, it, he rebounded well. So you know, what I find really amazing the man who directed Children of Men couldn't get work <laughs> for a decade. But I, I think it was self imposed. Okay, I was gonna say, but Brett Ratner is still running around out there. Destroying whatever the hell he touches. We don't talk about Brett Ratner in this house. I feel like Brett Ratner, like even if he got a job at like a Kroger's, like he'd wreck that frozen food section. Someone would come in. There's a lot of Doritos in there. The frozen foods all over. He's like, what? I thought we wanted to shake things up in here. I think an overall theme we'll see here is uh, uh, fuck Brett Ratner. Not a fan. Yes. Not a fan. Not a fan at all. Um, But moving along. Yeah. So okay, when we say the basic, let's go. Let's let's bullet point uh, the premise without going into the plot. Okay. So. <clears throat> the world is ending effectively because women are no longer fertile. Yes. Uh, babies are not being born anymore. The ones that had been born, uh, you know, were dying immediately after. And then after that, women just are no longer able to give birth any longer. Yes, human women, sometime in a not-too-distant future, are... 2027? Be- ...become infertile. And... Our central plot of the film begins about 15 to 20 years after this... 18. Uh, 18 years. 18 years. Uh, and the world is slowly eating itself alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, faster than uh, every day. Uh, and shit gets accelerated when uh, the youngest person in the world, the last baby to be born, mm-hmm. who so many people look at as their surrogate child, mm-hmm. watching him grow up, yeah. uh, dies. Yeah, suddenly, he, he's, he's murdered. Yes. Uh, because he he does not, uh, I think it was like a, like a fan wanted him to sign something, an autograph, and he refused, and he was beaten to death. Yes. 
Very heavily. Which Very is, heavily. there's some, some lines you can draw between that and society right now. Oh, there's but. so many. We're going to do a lot of that uh, throughout this whole thing. And so what this does is it follows our, our central character, Clive, played by Clive Owen. Yeah. Uh, which is, it, you know a movie is uh, very 2006 and 2007 because <laughs> Clive, Clive Owen is the star it. and no one questioned it. You're like, oh yeah, yeah. Clive Owen, he's he's in things now. Yeah, Clive Owen, Julianne Moore, who dies 28 minutes into the film, interestingly. We hadn't got there yet, Doc. Does okay. it matter? No, they, it they've doesn't. They've all seen this. A spo- Spoiler alert. Everybody's Again, seen this. If you this. haven't so far, God damn, your dad is so disappointed. <laughs> he sits in his Volvo and cries cries because of the disappointment that you are because you haven't fucking watched Children of Men yet. What are you doing? Pause the show. Yes. Watch the movie. We can wait. God. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but yeah, uh, Julianne Moore, Michael Caine. Michael Caine. And uh, Chiwetel all right, all right, All right, here we go. Here we go. So, there's an actor in this movie. Most notable for being in this film. Yeah. Uh, he is in uh, 12 Years a Slave as the, as the principal actor. Uh, he is an American gangster with Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe. Uh, he is in Doctor Strange. He's a Doctor Strange. And I do not and have never physically... He's in Serenity. And, oh, God, he's so good in Serenity, mm-hmm. dude. First time I really remember seeing him, it was in that. Yes. That's, uh, excellent. Excellent, yeah, yeah, excellent, yeah. excellent. Yeah. Uh, but regardless, I've never heard another human being say his name with confidence. So we're going to now present a segment that I hope is not a reoccurring segment here on Nothing Good. Where we will uh, try to pronounce this man's name well, as many different ways as we possibly can. Did you look it up? Of course. I did research on Jesus the film. Jesus Christ, his name, Doc. His name is... Oh, how you try first. I already know how to pronounce it. Right. Do you? You said <laughs> yeah. it earlier, but was I paying attention? I hope not. Absolutely Make not. Make this more amusing. All right. <clears throat> One second. Hold on. Let me pull up my <laughs> not phonetic... Mm. So, I'm going to give you three different... Pronunciation. You probably might get one of and them. And I, right. I want you to tell me if I'm correct. Okay. A. Shuatel Egeofor. Two. Chuietel Egeofor. Or number three. Chuitel Egeofor. So, brother, first of all, the first two, not bad. Third okay. one, you shit the bed hard. I, I, you know, I realized that it's coming up against the wall. I, I feel like His I'm just going to call him Chewy, but keep going. Yeah. Uh, so, the actual correct pronunciation of this man's name, this Hollywood actor's name, is uh, Chewetel. 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 Yep. Egeofor. A geo four, mm-hmm. okay, it's, and it's actually really simple. Yeah, now, now that I've seen it, it's you know, yes, for sure. You know, it's like like uh, Ewan McGregor. Uh, until you hear someone say it pro- properly, everyone's like Ewan, Ewan, or Carrie Elwes. You're like, oh, how do you how do you say that? Right? Wait, how do you pronounce his name? Carrie Elwes. I know that now. See, there you go. But before that, how many times you said it terribly? I just didn't say it. There it is. Oh yeah. <laughs> Some names I just avoid. The Dread Pirate Roberts. Because I'm just like I don't want to. I don't want to look like an but, idiot. And you, uh, yes. So we have we have all of these wonderful. This is an extremely well casted movie. Even I don't yes, remember the actress's yes. name. Because so we should make this uh, clear as we talk about this important film. Herb, you've watched this very recently, correct? Yeah. Okay. A couple nights ago. Uh, but moments before this podcast was released, I last watched this film uh, amongst my many viewings about three months ago. 
Uh, so I did precisely zero research because I wanted to feel it out. And knowing that Doc would do uh, a good chunk of the research here, I could bounce <laughs> off and then basically be an idiot. But also, fun fact, the um, the nursemaid, that, you know, the, uh, the uh, doula, if you will, to the um, – uh, to the pregnant girl in this uh, was also um, in the children's film Matilda. She was uh, Principal Trunchbull. There it is. Yeah. Which every time I think about her, okay. I just think of uh, Strawberry Cough. Which cough. Would be a, cough. Uh, strawberry Cough. You say it. Well, what I, they say, yeah. right? Okay, so again, <laughs> Kane. we're going to do some terrible Michael Caine impersonations. We're going to do terrible impersonations <laughs> of everybody. Can I just sit, talk about how much Michael Caine. Michael Campbell's a goddamn smile on my face. Oh, dude. He's no matter what he does, Every I'm watching time. this movie and I've just got the smile. He brings such a, a joy. So <clears throat> he's so good at it. I think what you get and <clears throat> and you're gonna see this a lot in this movie. So Clive Owen is reactionary in this whole movie. Yes. He he does God, very the little in <clears throat> the whole movie, he does very little to independently drive the plot himself. Everyone else around him drives the plot around him, but I think none more so in a way. Then Michael Caine, who brings both uh, levity to the film uh, and uh, a tragic humanity, but in the same exact same, it's the exact same time too. Excuse me, uh, he's fucking Michael Caine, so he legitimizes every single frame that he's in. Like, have you ever thought, oh, I want to uh, watch uh, Michael Caine smoke weed with uh, the principal from Matilda with dreadlocks in a random scene in a dystopian thriller film? You never thought you'd say that, but God damn it, that's like one of the best scenes in the whole movie because he just brings it. He brings that Michael Caine. He in. just has an Ernst about him, like and I just he he has this ability to make you feel like there's like there's some actors who or actors and actresses who are able to really convey a sense of calm, like you feel safe around them. Yeah, like. First of all, Michael Caine is not protecting me. He'd get his, his old ass kicked in a real situation, but I feel safe around him. I feel like he would go out of his way to protect me. He, he has that ability to make you feel that way. Okay. And that character was so perfect. He was so perfect in it. Oh. Um, yeah, you know, like, yeah I, can, I can especially feel that vibe with Clive Owen in this movie. That it's like basically Jasper. Correct Jasper. <clears throat> Jasper, yes. Jasper is. Clive Owen's last remaining confidant that really his, has his no, only friend has no real vested interest in anything other than just being his friend, which is as you will find watching this film very rare. Nobody in this movie loves the other one or is friends with the other one for the sake of being that person's friend or love until you start to see watch Clive Owen develop these relationships in this film. Mm-hmm. Even Julianne Moore, his ex-wife, still wants something out of him. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants something out of each other, except uh, Jasper to Clive Owen, and then inevitably Clive Owen to uh, our main uh, protagonist, pregnant lady. Yeah. So okay, now let's let's <clears throat> excuse me. Circle on back to the beginning of the film. Right. All the right, beginning yes. of the film happens. Uh, Clive Owen's you know he's going to he's getting some coffee in the morning, going to work, and I found this so fascinating actually. If you really think about this, happened on his way to to work. Right? Yes. He goes. The world's mourning young Diego, youngest person in the world is now dead yeah. and, and i always i thought it was so fascinating how they're everybody's you know morning people are like in the coffee shop people are all you know putting out uh, flowers and their the memorials and then you hear uh the <clears throat> newscaster say something along the lines of now the the honor of the youngest personnel goes to so-and-so who is 18 years so-and-so days so-and-so months i'm just mm-hmm. like and just like that 
it just moves right on. They move along. So there's a bomb that goes off in the coffee shop that he's about at. immediately eight seconds after that line. Ooh, yeah. The movie is now live mm-hmm. for like the rest of it, like a minute before this happens. Mm-hmm. Like the movie starts, he's getting coffee. He comes out of the coffee shop. He gets he's putting booze in his coffee. Boom! Little exposition, and then there we are. And it's just that's the movie. The movie puts you in a state of actual tension the entire time, with the exception of little moments here and there, small. Oh, and, the, and then pockets. it tricks you because it tricks you into it because you want that. You want that in these very tense moments. You want these moments of of levity, and mm-hmm. then uh, and then the movie completely betrays you. And you'll see this as a it does betray film. you. It absolutely this film, over and over again, dear listener. Uh, this film absolutely betrays you about six or seven times before the end of the film. Dude, in this world, they, like, okay, the listeners here, they know all about how there's, like, that that joke, that meme that you watch uh, any any network television for any length of time is going to be a commercial about some sort of drug, some sort of uh, pharmaceutical, and then, like, the entire commercial is a cartoon of a bird living life and just enjoying it, mm-hmm. but the whole, like, minute and... 10 seconds of the commercial or listing all the side effects of it. Yes. Right? Disputan may cause diarrhea, homo- homicidal tendencies. Death. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but but in this movie, in this world, because mm. the world is ending, I, I should have written, I wrote, I didn't write down the actual name of the, the medicine, but uh, the quietol or something, where it's like basically you take it and it's a, a, a quiet, easy way to die it, for uh, those so, who do not want to live in this world any yeah, longer. To put it in a different term, and now because... People have no hope. Uh, the human race is slowly but surely dying out because mm-hmm. people cannot uh, produce kids. Uh, the governments of the world have now begun mass manufacturing suicide kits for quiet, painless ways uh, to end your life. And it's not just that concept, which is jarring enough. The idea that here is this where where we see, uh, you know, uh, like Nicotrell or any of these things you see on on TV, like today in our our real world. It's the fact that this it is so wisely accepted, and you see even in the background of those shots when you watching Clive Owen going, there's people with these boxes tucked under their arm, mm-hmm. and it becomes central to plots later in Quietus, uh, Quietus, and it's very so uh, government sponsored suicide kits yeah. because there is no hope for the human race. Yeah. I mean, there's I mean, there's or, literally nothing, or as the film will tell us. Oh. So. The oldest person in the world is dead. Yes, yes. And so, (laughs) Clive Owen could care less about this. He thinks Uh, he's quote-unquote a wanker. Yes. A wanker, uh, actually. A wanker. (laughs) I really like Clive Owen a lot. Oh, see, there is a period where he could could shoot him up, Sin City. So good. So, it's like, and there's there's a time when he can go wrong. What's the movie um, that I really liked with Natalie Portman and Julia Roberts in it? Uh, Closer? Closer. Yeah, that's now, what he was. That's one of his biggest breakout films. I yeah, think. It, yeah. Where Natalie Portman's a stripper in it, and it was a, it was really just a really thoughtful film, right? Uh, I think it was excellent. I don't know where it went off the rails. Uh, he did do one shitty movie with Jason Statham and Robert De Niro. Now it wasn't the movie itself. Listen, you say shitty movie with Jason Statham in the same sense, yes, right? Like, no, like, listen, basically. Jason, don't come kick my ass. But seriously, I w- Jason. Actually, on a flip side, if you really care that much, I will tell you where to find Herb Jones. Uh, <laughs> so just because I want to see it, I always want to see his face when when he opens up the door. Did you say something about me? <laughs> Anyway, uh, but besides that, Clive Owen really hasn't done anything, at least that I remember, 
That was bad. You know, the, he was I, in uh, that King Arthur movie was kick ass that he did. That was directed by Antoine Fuqua. The last movie that I watched that he was in, the the, the most recent film was um, Gemini Man. I didn't see. It. Was that with uh, Will Smith? Mm-hmm. Is that movie good? It's pretty cool. Okay, it's a weird movie, but of course it is. Yeah, it's a weirdly ambitious film, Guy which I himself. highly recommend you watch. Actually, yes. there's so many of those. I love action movies where you have one actor playing two people because you never really get that fight scene between the same actor. Yeah, like uh, was it uh, the Jean Clavet Double Impact? Oh my god, Double Impact for like 1991. Yes. <laughs> hey, I'm uh, you know I'm supposed to be an American, but I'm coming to Hong Kong. Let's listen to I'm... his best Jean Claude Van Damme impersonation. Ah, that'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the same as my... Not to be confused that was Arnold? With Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not to be confused with my Stallone. Right? There's something about the 90s action films. But man. dear God, dude. I, first of all, I love 90s action movies. But I mean, I'm, I know we're really sidebarred here. <laughs> that's that's, that's the theme listener, of everything here. Just put it in your YouTube or your Google machine. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Double Impact. There's two Jean-Claude Van Dams. There's the good, clean-cut, polo shirt-wearing Jean-Claude Van Damme. He's like, ah, you know, I'm a good guy. I come from Los Angeles. Yeah, bullshit. But moving along. And then there's dark, evil Jean-Claude Van Damme from Hong Kong. And dude has the most mullet mullet <laughs> ever. And it's, like, always wet. Dude was not like, a 25-minute chase scene. It's always a wet, slick-back mullet. It is, uh, it, it is so good. I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but... I mean, man, talk about a movie we should cover, Bloodsport. <gasps> oh, mm-hmm. Tong Bro- Po. Broken Glass, Tong Po. <laughs> oh. There's, like, a very few people in the world that, if, like, if their fictional character became real, when I actively avoid the entire continent that they actually <laughs> lived on, and Tong Po would be one of them. Yeah, he was a bad oh, man. bad man, He was dude. a bad man. Um oh. But anyway, we're children of men. We have we have diverged again. Yeah. So uh, so he he doesn't care. Clive Owen does not give yeah. any fucks about the state of the world, and yeah. the government is collapsing, and there's warring factions. Yeah, as yeah. Typically, be because people are fighting for the scraps. And 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 really, we're not doing this justice realistically because the world is gone to shit. Mm-hmm. Like hardcore. Like you not only had too many beers the night before, but you had coffee because you're hangover type of shit. Oh, and it's brutal. bad. And it's and it's it's difficult. And you eat nothing but gummy worms. And you, yeah, the yeah. sugar-free gummy worms, yeah, spe- but specifically. And I think it's important also just to add in because one would think, from a pure economic standpoint, yeah, that if there are no more people being born, uh, that there is less burden, uh, less uh, strain on the resources of the world. Mm-hmm. So why would the world go to hell? But basically, a principal theme. That is all over this movie, but it is extremely evident in the world and in Clive Owen is that once you couldn't have babies anymore, motherfuckers just gave up and they stopped working and they stopped producing resources and the quality of life was the first thing to hit and people gave up and the world started getting worse and then people started fighting for whatever scraps were actually left and it takes us to the world we live in. Now, uh, there's something about the movie too. There's like some, there's so much detail in this film. God. They they did such a good job world building. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> it's because this is a science fiction film. It technically is. It yeah. is very sci-fi. Actually, it's a sci-fi. It drama. doesn't have to have flying cars or laser <laughs> swords or anything like that. But it is a very science fictiony experience, and it's very grounded because this could air quotes happen. Um, there's a, a, a point where. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember. It was in the beginning because all the stuff's happening in the beginning. There's so much happening in the beginning. Mm-hmm. 
um, there's like a there's like an advertisement, right? For and I never noticed it before. I ne- why would I notice it? But I never noticed it. But now that I'm, I'm watching this movie, like really looking at details, like there's like an ad. I only saw it once for pet clothing, and I thought okay. to myself, there are no more kids, but people still got to spend their money, mm-hmm. spending on their fur babies. Like there's so much, there's so much weird capitalism in this movie too. Oh yeah, when, and, and that's that's one of the underarching themes too. Uh, not overarching, but underlining. Like it was sad. Right? Yeah, is that re- uh, the world is going to hell, and everybody knows that there is eventually going to be no more people because no more people are being born, but they're still selling us shit. Yeah, they're still selling. There's ads for avoiding fertility cr- tests are is a crime. Like there's and there's so much. Uh, 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 anti-immigration propaganda throughout oh, the brutal. entire film. It is so intense. There is like a whole idea that somewhere along the lines, Infowars became reality. It became the government. Yeah, and it is. Uh, it's it's shocking and uh, awful. There's a lot of propaganda actually in the one of the first like ten minutes of the film. They you know world building yet again, and this is going to be a really big part of this movie is world building. Uh, there's like the scene where they talk about how the other, oh, so many other countries have fallen. Yeah, right. Quote unquote. And, but 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 you know the United Kingdom still soldiers on, and 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 I'm thinking I'm, the, the every time I've seen the movie before, I go, oh, you know, hey, the, you know, the, things are going to shit. But then I sat after like really think I'm like, did they fall? Or are they telling people that it felt that they felt? Uh, I mean, that's uh, that's almost like a common theme within British dystopianism. Um, you see it not only in V for Vendetta, mm. uh, but you also see it in some Doctor Who episodes. Like, uh, yeah. like I mean, I know we're getting way off base for five seconds, but there's even an idea where Britain itself has to physically leave the planet Earth in the Doctor Who mythos. So they put the entire country on the back of a giant space whale. Because Britain must survive in Doctor Who. It land, must right? survive. Apparently, Britain must survive. So, I mean, that is, that's very, and, uh, but I mean, that's the overall theme is that, look, in, the people in V for Vendetta in this, they're all just told that only Britain stands against the tide of darkness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but people are so wrapped up in the, in the micro, the minutia political movements in their area and the destruction happening around them. Yeah. Then who gives a shit about what's happening in Canada? Right. Well, I mean, no well also, generally. No one cares about happening. Who gives a shit about what's happening in Canada? Dear Not listener, Canadians. Yeah, dear listener, if you're listening to this in Canada, I apologize. We both love Canada. Apologize. We love Canada, but yeah. we also apologize for you for because who gives a shit what happens in Canada? <laughs> so let's move this along a little bit, right? All right so because yeah. we've yeah okay so <clears throat> Theo goes to work. He 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 leaves work and he gets kidnapped. Right. He just all of a sudden bagged and tagged, thrown in the back of a truck. And it's by the Fishes. It's a terrorist group or uh, who are against the anti-immigration laws in Great Britain, right. the United or Kingdom, rather. Terrorist group slash liberation. Liberation. It could, One go, man's terrorist on is another man's freedom depending fighter, who and ask. that is a huge part of this movie too. But mm-hmm. keep going. Uh, and it turns out that he's been abducted by uh, the leader of the Fishes, which is his ex-wife. Oh, uh, what's her name? Doesn't matter. Played by Julianne Moore. Henceforth referred to as Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore from here on in. Um, she doesn't matter. She's only around for 27 more minutes. Anyhow. Yep. But it's a good 27 minutes. <laughs> the rest seems so good. Um, so she wants his help because she trusts him. And she wants him to uh, es- not escort but get the passage papers for a specific person. Uh, somebody from Fiji. I think she called it, referred to her as a, F- a Fiji 
Uh, Fusion. Yeah, from, you know, Great Britain to the ocean, basically. Right. You have to, in, in the world of dystopian future, there's a lot of checkpoints that somebody has yeah. to pass through. Yes. And she's an immigrant, so it's a big deal. Yes. Hot uh, topic in the She won't tell him why, and and he's like, well, why do you want me to do that? And she's like, why? Well, I trust you. And then uh, he basically says, fuck off. Uh, and he's like, well, if you think about it, there's money in it for you, blah, 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 blah. He changes his mind. He goes to his cousin. Now, this is a really interesting point to this. I never even thought about this before. Again, this movie makes you think about things, especially through the lens of 2020. Mm-hmm. The year 2020. And the experience that that was for pretty everybody. much everybody on the planet. Yeah. But on my level in the United States. Um, so he goes to his cousin who's very well off. And now he's on this bus. He's going through the shit part of town. And then he just... No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Not a bus. In a car. He's being escorted th- through town to this immaculate beautiful place mm-hmm. where all the wealthy people live and and such a stark contrast to the oh world we've been built up to at this point in the film so his cousin uh is i guess some sort of curator for the art arc yes and his so basically literally what it sounds like they're gathering all of these really old popular famous you know important important why now at this point right uh p- works of art and they're I don't know. They didn't really explain what the arc is, but I'm sure it's a building. Uh, I'm not going to shoot off in the space, I'm sure. Not yet. Um, Children of Men 2. And this guy has connections, basically. And he agrees to help Theo eventually. But there's a scene that really struck me when I watched it on Friday. And it really fucked with me. Because it made me think of so many other things that people have said to me, or didn't say, actually. So, they're... His cousin, I think, had already agreed to do this for him at this point, I think. So he waves him over to, like, this window, and they're looking off into, like, the courtyard. This just I mean, it's perfect. It's beautiful. It's clean. Everybody's well-fed. You know? Everybody's happy. Or whatever happy is. Mm-hmm. And Theo, the ever-pessimist, the realist, goes, you, f- you fucking kill me. Like, w- why are you doing all this? Like, it's not going to matter in 50 years anyhow. Like, look at the world around you. Like, why you, why go through all the effort? No one's going to appreciate this later on, down the line. And his cousin looks at him. I think he's sipping his tea, I think. And he goes, honestly, I just don't think about it. And, yeah. And when he said that, now this is like the f- sixth time I've seen this film. Maybe eighth, something like that. Maybe. The weight of that line hit me. Because there are people in the world, people in this country, not to be that guy, but but and that's why we're talking about this, right? Like who don't even recognize the awful things that happen in the world, that happen in their backyard, that happen across the town from them, that happen in the, across the state from them. Mm-hmm. They don't even think about it. It's just not even there. They're just worried about the bubble that they exist in. And I was like, man, that is... And after watching tw- what happened last year, 
you know, the protests and just the violence and just the, the, the social unrest and all the awful things that have happened to good people for so long. Mm-hmm. And I've had conversations with people and you, they don't come out and explicitly say, well, I just don't think about it, but that's kind of what they're saying. Yeah. They just don't think about it. It doesn't affect me. Mm-mm. Yeah, you hear that and it was lot. heavy. Yeah. I'm like, man, this movie still to Little, this day. Yeah. And, 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 and we are, Barely halfway through Act One, folks. <laughs> uh, Get yeah, yourself I mean, a drink. I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah, first of all, we're enjoying our mead here, uh, so I think it's important to or we'll move it forward and then kind of just overlook here. So, Clive Owen, though, it's his job is he works for the government. He too. he yeah he um I don't remember what he does. It's something for the government though, and and, and I, he's not directly able to move, but he's in a quid pro quo kind of a situation where he's able to do things for others and Julianne Moore knows this. Now, let's give a little context here into the relationship as we build up. So what we know is that Clive Owen gets abducted. His ex-wife is really uh, the leader of the abductors and they want him to get papers to help smuggle an immigrant through the country to a boat that's supposed to be waiting for her mm-hmm. at the end of the ocean. Now, he and Julianne Moore were married happily. Yes. For yeah. a period of time. She herself is an American in England and is an immigrant. Yeah. Uh, until such a time that a terrible tragedy befalls them. And uh, basically, as we now find out at this point in the film, is what shattered Clive Owen well before the world ever began to end. Would you? Yeah. So they had a, a little boy. His name was uh, Dylan. Mm-hmm. And Dylan uh, died um, hit from the flu, mm-hmm. interestingly. Mm-hmm. Uh and that was like a lot of. I mean, I have no, thankfully, no experience in that. I don't really know too many people who have, thankfully. But I've I've heard of and I know of that you know that can ruin, destroy a marriage, a relationship, a whole person. You know, how can you look at the other person the same way? Whether it's had nothing to do with being their fault, but you can't help but see that child in them. You know, so that's. And everybody grieves differently. But yeah, that's their wedge. That's the big wedge. That is the thing. And it's very evident that though Clive Owen is so damn jaded in this movie, and I mean, for the first half of the, almost two-thirds of the movie, just so damn jaded in the movie, Mm -hmm. when he lets his guard down slightly, you can see that there is a pure affinity between he and Julianne Moore in this film. Mm -hmm. But uh, that tragedy, that darkness, the loss of their child, it's it's almost like, uh, as we mentioned earlier, the film will constantly betray you. And that betrays them. They have a normal conversation amidst all this chaos for a few moments, and then they look away, and they look back at each other, and you know they both just see their their deceased child and pff, the yeah. wall goes back up. There's actually and a, it's all business. There's a point where uh I think Julian Moore's character says to to Theo, mm-hmm. um you know, he had your eyes. I can't like he, like I can't I can't look at you. Like he, you had his eyes and it's like that's heavy. That's man. super heavy. Yeah. Like I my heart goes out to people who have ever had to experience something like that. Oh god, that's, anywhere close to that. Yeah. You know. Yeah, for sure. So so we move along, um, and he actually said it's a kind of a fun. It's a in my mind, it's a throwaway scene, but it, it kind of like speaks to Theo and the type of person that he is. So he says yes. He's oh, and he's in contact with this guy named Luke, who is like I guess sort of like the second in command to Julian Moore's character. Yeah, uh, yeah. Chiwetel's character. Yes. Um, his name's Luke. And he is sort of like the go-between for a while. And he's the one who kind of negotiates a little bit with Theo. When Theo says, okay, I'll do it, basically. He gives him the money. 
and like next scene, Theo's at the racetrack. <laughs> yeah. This is this is Theo, right? Like mm-hmm. he's getting he's given like five thousand dollars, pounds, whatever it was. I'm not really sure, and I don't remember if they even explicitly say. No, yeah, but assume it's pounds. Yeah. Uh, do they still do pounds? Uh, and they do again. Okay, because I thought there was a change for a while. I think it was pounds, and then I it think like it was euros, euros and yes. pounds, and now Brexit yeah. is a thing. Oh, at least yeah, at this yeah, point, yeah, that's right. Brexit uh, is a thing. Who knows, by the time uh, Brexit feels like out. it was 10 years ago because of 2020. Mm-hmm. Honestly, yeah. so many things feel like we had a lot it was of build a thousand up. years ago. We had a lot of build-up to Brexit, though. I mean, and really, it was kind of like a, eh. You know, it's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Are you, though? Uh, but like, that's it, you're like, oh, now that? Oh, after that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, they are using pounds again. But anyhow, so let's assume they were, it was pounds. But it was a lot of pounds. Um... And uh, where was I at? So yeah, he gambles the money away. Gambles the money away, and then he's pulled away to Julianne Moore uh, while he's trying to cash in his win, which was a really it was a fun scene. Uh, but again, throwaway. Uh, so now he meets the person he's supposed to uh, get the papers to. But the problem is here's a, here's a big plot point. He couldn't just get the papers just for her. He has to escort. He had to, he'll, he'd only get it for two people, so he has. It has to be him. He has to escort her to this particular location, which changes everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's when we meet Key, mm-hmm. who is the woman in question, the young lady in question. Um, immediately, she does not like him. Uh, and 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 as an aside, like it seems like we're probably going through a lot of like random point beats, but these are really somewhat important. They're not going to go through scene by scene, but yeah. the ones that are important. <laughs> Act one is a mishmash of world-building, character-building, and conversation. We haven't even mentioned that before this, Jasper gets included. No, we'll do, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll do that again yeah. in a minute. But I think Key is... Uh, um, I think Clive Owen is so reactionary, but Key is our first truly intuitive character in the entire film. Uh, you see that a lot in really great films. It's like this person just watches the world evolve around them, yeah. and then Key is the first person who kind of braces for impact as we would find out the why. whole time but previous to to accepting uh julianne moore's and luke's offer uh clevon consults with jasper his best friend uh his only real friend michael kane by michael kane the the amazing michael the Caine. goddamn beast michael kane the goddamn beast michael kane <laughs> uh who who is sitting there now michael kane is a hippie in this for a long story short he's out in the middle of the forest he's already old uh, he's already, he's old. already old. Jesus, yeah. man. Like super old. Like older than he Michael Caine normally. He was already is. old. Yeah, he can- <laughs> Michael Ca- I came out of the womb already 54 years old. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, <laughs> okay, came out with ARP card. I said, where's this going on here? I was already... Okay, no, yeah, no matter what's going on. So that's, but he, and he confides with Michael Caine. Uh, no, Michael Caine is delightful, and he adds a lot of humor to this, and he gives you that kind of detached hippie uh, thought. I mean, he knew Theo, Clive Owen, and Julianne Moore when they were married previously, and he knew their son. Um, so he has a, a connection to the story as well. Yes. And additionally, uh, Michael Caine has a wife who is catatonic. Yes. She is alive, um, but in a vegetative state. Um, and he talks to her, and he feeds her, and but she is completely unresponsive. Do we ever find out why? She okay. So world build, world building alert. Mm-hmm. Repeat, world building alert. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Um, <laughs> so they're they're so good at this. So they don't explicitly say what happens. I'm sure maybe if the char- same characters are in the book, they go and probably deep dive it. But you don't. No single person brings it up because in reality, why would you? But if you there's a lot of setup shots. I believe it's the first time you even we even go to Jasper's house. Which is way off the beaten path, hidden from the rest of society. Like, He's like off the grid. Like literally, there's a bush in front of the road you have to move. Several bushes, yeah. at least several bushes. To move to get to Jasper's yeah. house. Uh his there's like um a couple of like uh newspaper clippings about like uh award winning journalist indicating that that's his wife. And then there's another one towards the end before you like kind of move to the like, real establishing shot of the characters where it says, you know, uh, something like unknown assailants or no one's been able to, no one knows who tortured this, the, the reporter, mm-hmm. the you know, award-winning reporter. It's basically she was brutalized and, 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 and tortured mm-hmm. and it put her in a catatonic state, which is fucking heartbreaking. Oh man. The whole, yeah. Which is the theme of the movie and his character. God. But regardless, so uh, so so there you go. So Michael Caine takes care of his catatonic wife, yeah. and his Clive and, Owens and their dog and their dog and Clive Owens' only f- remaining friend. Uh, and so he's he you know Clive Owen Theo he feeds off of Michael Caine and asks his opinion about what he should do and should should he help out Julianne more. And Michael Caine kind of gives him the guidance to progress the film, but also a little subtle thing, uh, he notices that Michael Caine has a box of. Uh, what, quietus. Quietus. Yeah. quietus there and he starts to give Michael Caine this inquisitive look and Michael Caine passes up. oh just want to see where it was you know mm-hmm. uh, toss it around and blows it off um, and so so he taking this his advice from his friend and he accepts and now we find out fast forwarding back to where we last left off for, through our latest divergence uh, Clive Owen meets the guarded key Mm-hmm. Uh, a young girl from Fiji uh, who is watched over by her caregiver, played by Principal Trunchbull. I'm trying, the character's name Matilda. was Marianne, not Marielle, but what was uh, Mariam? Mariam. Yep. There we go. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> so which which now starts probably one of the cooler scenes in the entire film. Not the best, but one of the cooler scenes in the entire film. It's the scene, the car scene, right? That car scene is 247 seconds long of an entire, a continued shot. But it feels like a lifetime. So, you have a car. With, <laughs> you have a car. You have a car. And yeah. in this car are Luke in the front seat. Uh, I believe, what, is Mary Melson in the front seat with Luke? No, no. So, uh, Luke is driving. Yes. Chiwetel's driving. Um, Julianne, Mil- Julianne Moore's character is in the passenger side. In the back seat... From left to right, or technically right to left, would be Theo, Miriam, Key. Mm-hmm. Okay, this scene was so cool, and I I, I had to find out how they even shot it. I was kind of curious. It, Before we do, yes, they are going from uh, the check, last checkpoint they left and, yes, and yes, managed yes, to yes. smuggle themselves through on their journey from central London to this coast. Their first checkpoint is to go through. This checkpoint into this forested area to a safe house for the fishes, this revolutionary group. Yeah. Continue. Uh, so this this scene, <clears throat> it is really cool because it's it's going around in a circle, like around everybody in the shot, in mm-hmm. this car. And, and from what I read, what, again, cursory uh, research, they had to like create a machine to do this. 
uh, and everybody like as the camera would pan, like would kind of pan, people would have to duck around because they're in this car. Mm-hmm. They're, they're ducking and moving, getting themselves back in the shot, and then they're continuing this this shot. It is probably one of two, maybe three moments of levity in the entire film. Just before then, and I'll tell you when if you said pick out a line from Children of Man, I think a Strawberry Cough would be one of them. Strawberry Cough. Yeah. Uh, but um, the one is, do you still like it in the afternoons? <laughs> right. And line. for some strange reason, because that's that is the the the, uh, the purest moment between Clive Owen and Julianne Moore in this, and I think it really will represent, in spoiler alert, the last time we will ever see Clive Owen be happy in the rest of this entire film. Yeah, it was the only time we ever saw him happy. Yeah. Really, like truly, like maybe with Jasper about- initially, he seemed like he was. Content, unguarded. He was enjoying his time with his friend. Yeah, he was enjoying time with his brother. You know, in a sense, but with his ex-wife, the mother of their dead son, in this moment, and they're playing this weird ball a game with a ball. They're blowing the ball from one mouth to the other, and it was fucking it's a, strange. It's a, it's a weird party game. Like I've never see seen people do school. that before. I've never. I've seen it with a card in real life, and it usually just ends up with, with, with two people unnecessarily kissing. And then you're like, do you know where that mouth has been? Well, but I can continue. Yeah. You know what? Let's transition to our newest segment. Do you know where that mouth has been? <laughs> Sponsored by What That Mouth Do. What? <laughs> the new deodorant for Ugh. new age. That's what that. that Mouth Do. Find out at whatthatmouthdo.com. Do not go to that website. <laughs> you don't want to know what don't that mouth do. Don't go to that website. Do. <laughs> you don't want to know what that mouth do. No, you do not want to know. What that mouth do? Anyway, speaking of what that mouth do, so they're playing a game in the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, just a great moment. Like everybody's laughing. I mean, everybody's enjoying. Maybe Luke's not, but I, I can't He's remember. Driving. He's focused on the road. Um, but everybody's even Key, who initially did not like Theo's character whatsoever, uh, is starting to just starting to warm up to him because she's seeing him being not being a miserable drunken asshole. Yeah. You know, and 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 Julian Moore's character is lowering her guard. He's lowering his guard, and it's just up. It's years having not seen this film for years and going back and watching it. I just I knew what was coming. <laughs> mm-hmm. I I so like I was, but I was still enjoying that moment because it was still a pure, pure. happy yeah. moment between two people who have a real connection. Yeah, and then. Everything goes to shit real fast. So the car traveling through this country road on the way to this safe house meets what we're led to believe at first is a bunch of displaced people. Because it, And you have to think earlier in the film, it was not uncommon to see mass people feel, being uh, restless yeah. and riotous. But here we are. We come across it in the middle of this wood. And and all of a sudden you think, oh man, perhaps like a touch of the highwayman, right? This is this is meant the for, Marauders, you know, some literally people meant to hijack anyone dumb enough to go down this yeah, random yeah. country road. Would seem strange, but again, in this movie's theme, uh, it becomes so anxious, yes. so quickly claustrophobic that you don't have a chance to really go. Well, why are they dealing with this and what's going on here? Yeah. Because all of a sudden it goes from happiness to. It's like a scene in a zombie movie almost. You know, like all of a sudden you yeah. return, a character turns around and just covered in zombies. Yeah. But instead of it being this yeah, undead, yeah. overdone trope, it's just people, excuse me, that are just absolutely just poured all over this car. Yeah. I mean, and, we're talking like 
Molotov plus. cocktails. They're and trying love. to get to this car, and all of a sudden, there we see from uh, some, some motorcycles yeah. uh, coming up from around the rear end. Clearly, it's not just this random riot in the middle of the woods. It's a hijacking. It's it's very specific. It's very intentional. It's an attack. Uh, and uh, as one of the guys on the motorcycle rolls up. And, and everyone's giving direction to Luke. God, and you know, and just even saying it, even though it's a movie, man, it just it sucked. Like it just it sucked. It takes wind right out. And of then you. they and then they aim the, the 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 pistol and they shoot through the the windshield and shoot Julian's Moore character right in the neck. And yeah. Theo is trying to hold the pressure down. He's trying to keep he's her behind alive. Her. Yeah, he's directly behind her. He's watching the woman that gave birth to his, his son who passed away, dying in his hands. He's trying to keep the pressure on the wound. She's gonna die. Oh, and the whole time, Luke is try- he's driving backwards mm-hmm. in that, yep. that shot. Trying to get away from whatever the fuck's going on, right? Everybody's mm-hmm. panicking. Everybody's freaking out. But then here's Theo trying to keep his ex-wife from dying, even though he knows deep down, I'm sure that this isn't, it's a losing battle. So they actually, interesting, uh, important plot point. So the, the, I don't know who it was. It had to have been him. It had to have been him. Yeah. So the, they shoot her and the, the, the motorcycle kind of comes alongside of the car and Theo opens the car door and like hits him. And dude just wipes out hard. Completely wipes out. There's two of them. Two of them on a bike. Yeah. Wipes and out they both wipe out real bad. That's important. Don't forget that. Yeah, just put a pin in that yeah, for about just, five minutes from now. Um they get away. Bar- barely get away. And they come across two police officers. Luke gets out. I mean, listen, there was no way out of this, obviously, because there's a they're like the car's been caught on fire, the windshield's gone, there's a dead person in the the passenger side in the front seat. Yeah, it's very bloody. He gets out. He's trying to tell it, the you know the police officer that we're we're, we're not immigrants. We're not, and then he just shoots the police officer's dead. Just bang, mm-hmm. bang, 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 and then they get in the car and they drive off. And uh, by the way, everybody in the car not happy about this. No, no, it, it's a it's a shit show to put it mildly. Uh, so they they next shot you know they they got Julian Moore's character. They got her off in the in the in the field in the woods. They're, well, they're pulling over into a field house. They make it to the, before they do yes. that. They put her kind of to rest. Um, and but this is a, the only reason I'm even bringing up the scene is because there's a really important character po- moment for Theo because uh, Miriam is doing the shante 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 over her, you know, blessing her mm-hmm. her spiritual journey from this point forward or whatever. And Clive Owen walks off, and I think he goes to open a bottle of booze or something. And he kind of like gets close to like a tree, and he just crumbles, just collapses in grief, collapses in his sadness. That's right. Yeah. And he's, I mean, good scene, man. Clive, man, he like he he pulled that shit out mm-hmm. out of nowhere, and really good, really powerful scene. He only gets to, and he only gets to grief for like not even thirty seconds. I don't even think it was that long before Luke rolls up. We gotta go. We gotta go. And then he, Lethio, pulls his shit together. And then it's just full steam ahead from that point forward. Yeah. Uh, so, so after the burial, mm-hmm. quote unquote, of Julianne Moore and the crumpling of Clive Owen. <laughs> the cr- which, and he crumpled. Oh, he crumpled hard. Just like your notes. Crumpled. <laughs> Sad and British, just like your notes. Oh, so they finally geez. arrive at the Fish's safe house. Yeah. Uh, and it becomes a uh, uh, kind of a race to ditch the. The battered vehicle. No, they they had already swapped out the battered vehicle by then. So it's mm-hmm. it's a race here now to try to k- touch bases 
Clearly, Julianne Moore, the leader of this revolutionary group, is now deceased. Yeah. And so Luke has to organize with other leaders what to do next. Right. Now, it's important to notice that just right around the same time that Julianne Moore bites it, uh, Key has some distress going on about her that Miriam has to kind of uh, attentive to. So when they arrive at the safe house, it's, it's especially uh, distressing to Clive Owen because... Here's Luke goes off to do revolutionary stuff. Key and Miriam go off, and Clive Owen's not included in this, Theo. So he's right. just kind of left to kind of put pieces of this. And basically, and which is one of the only weak plot points in the entire film, they leave Clive Owen to wander around this compound, this random farmhouse in the middle of the, uh, of the idea. And what you see, what he sees, what we see Clive Owen see is, as we mentioned a few moments ago, uh, he totally takes out a motorcycle with two people in there. Right. And he hears what sounds like a motorcycle. Oh, oh wait, wait, well, no, wait, 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 wait. You're, you Pause are on it. the right track, but... You're, Steer me. You're, yeah, so Steer I, me like a I, good ship. All right, so there's a there's some details that Mr. Brown here is um, omitting. Uh, so, okay, so that scene you're talking about does happen, but it happens... After what the most important part is. Oh, that happens after the most important yeah. part. I thought it happened before. So, I'm sorry. So there's a couple of little pop points that I think Fill are us really, in. That Take are us really there. important. Take um, us there, okay. Uh, <laughs> so they show up, they get there, Theo's exhausted. Everybody's exhausted. Everybody's traumatized. Everybody's The movie hasn't really stopped. Yeah. <laughs> this is the first time from it's really when, slowed down. From the minute we get with, uh, we first meet Michael Caine until right now, the movie hasn't slowed down. Right. So they arrive. They give him some clean new clothes. Uh, but there's a little plot point that I like to point out that's really important. Uh, at one point, when they arrive, the guy who owns the house and his wife, they're like fishes as well. Uh, they have these these two or three dogs that are like their guard dogs. And at one point, the guard dogs, you know, they roll up on Theo. And they've been super friendly. And uh, the guy says, Theo, oh, they like you. Oh, they like you. I don't like anybody. Anyhow. Mm-hmm. Um... So Theo changes clothes and takes a shower. Who knows why? Gets a bite to eat. I'd like to think he ate some food. Um, at one point, Key would like to speak with Theo because yes. Key uh, was told by Julian, Julian Moore's character, that um, you know he Theo's the only person you can really trust. Yes, this is we no this this happens off. Off screen, yeah, correct. Yes, that yes. that that this becomes this is what a, she communicates a, a to him. Exposition to Theo, so with her distress, yeah. So it's a really fascinating scene. Actually, it is a weird scene. Uh, I'm sure there's some symbolism that I'm just not catching. Oh, there's a lot, and with, I'm going to unpack with, all this. With, with at the cows, the movie. we're going to go into this at the end when we pack out all the allegories in the film. But okay, going. so um, <clears throat> they say, "Hey, you know, Key wants to talk to you. She wants for whatever reason." So Theo is allowed with Miriam to go and because Theo has like a, 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 a that guy with him who owned the house like he's watching him he's you know yeah. Theo goes into the, the to this this barn house uh, and amongst a bunch of cows there's Key standing there talking to him making idle chit chat really and then eventually you know Theo's like what am I even doing here what do you, why do you need to go to the coast why what do you need what do you, what do you need I don't understand what what's going on here what is the point of all this 
what's going on here? And, and that was a terrible God, that was uh, so bad, it was amazing. Let's, let's pretend I didn't do that. Um, I'll be posting that as a ringtone on our website. <laughs> what's going on here? <laughs> so anyhow, uh, Key then uh, uh, disrobes directly in front of Theo to reveal that she is, in fact, pregnant. She is with child. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, if you've lost sight of this, the world is infertile. Yeah, completely. And, and the world, not just Great Britain. <laughs> the world is infertile, and standing before Theo, who has literally, moments before this, lost the last connection he really has to his old life and the way the world was, and now standing before him, is in fact a pregnant woman, which isn't supposed to be possible. Not possible. It's a kind of a miracle. It is absolutely a miracle. And in that moment, the sacrifice of his ex-wife and so many other things, and it all starts to click. Yeah, there's a. I, I wrote in my notes here. Um, the last, very last thing I wrote at the, because the, the very end of the movie, I wrote it, and I and I start a bunch of things. But I start this. It's, a, it's very much a theme for the movie, amongst many other themes. Is so much loss for so much gain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's That's really. Good. That's real good. I, and it's just like the thing that like really stuck out to me was that so many pe- so many people died or or died <laughs> suffer and died suffered uh for it isn't just easy to this yeah for this for this to happen for this to be a thing and for us to go to go now this from this point to where we got to end the movie a lot has to go on so anyhow she reveals herself to be with child it's kind of a big fucking deal uh the biggest it, of all deals it is the biggest deal in the world uh at this point that it's the only thing important in the world. Yeah. And nobody... I, that is the most important thing in the world. It's the most important thing in the world. Yeah. And nobody can know. And nobody <laughs> no does know. know. So, Because now, what will happen is about what we're about to see. About to go down. So, okay. So, now, Theo now is in on the secret. He's in the loop. Everybody else knows. Everybody now he knows. knows. <clears throat> he was the only one in that car when yeah. Julianne Moore bit it that didn't know. Right. So now he knows. Now he he knew the, the the gravity of the situation. So he goes back in the house, and they're the the fishes are all discussing who's going to become the new leader of the fishes. Ends up being Luke, but they're talking about you know, and this really fascinating lines of dialogue about what we should do because the plan was Julian's plan was to get key to the coast because the human project was go- was going to theoretically the human project there's a whole other freaking subplot well yes the sure. human project well, let's, let's let's finish this thing and well, then this, we'll go into the human well, this project. is the whole point right the human yeah. project is a group that are basically trying to a bunch of the smartest people in the world who are trying to keep the world from ending and they need this baby they need this girl and this baby so to this point in the film, the human project is a bit of a fairy tale. You know, yeah. it's the story that parents, uh, the people tell each other give to, to give themselves some sort of hope that out there, somewhere out on the ocean is a boat or a series of boats that's the human project. And they're fighting to keep humanity alive and yeah. try to figure out all of our problems and yes. how we can go on. Yeah. And no one, especially our protagonist, Clive Owen, okay. uh, does, uh, no one really fully buys it yeah so but it becomes evident that julianne moore did yeah so and, she communicated with them via mirrors mm-hmm. so one person would talk to one person who would talk to one person who talked to one person would then talk to her through the human project mm-hmm. which all sounds like bullshit anyhow well, i mean yeah it's i mean especially it's to theo. old school spy network stuff yeah so to theo's to, to clive owen's character that sounds like utter bullshit mm-hmm. uh and he's like are you fucking serious just take her to a doctor 
and the room full of fish is like, are you fucking crazy? The, 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 the UK would not recognize the first pregnant uh, person in the world being a Fiji, being an immigrant. Being an immigrant. Yes, and... And uh, that was so heavy to me. Like, uh, you know... <laughs> and I mean, well, I mean, yes. So, so uh, now we can start to really full on dissect. Here we are, uh, an hour into our podcast, and we can really start to dissect one of the central plot points besides trust, which is in this film. Is that so? When when no children are born and people stop caring, resources become limited. And as we know, even in the world today, mm-hmm. in uh, twenty twenty one, when mm-hmm. we're recording this, in a world where though we suffer through a global pandemic. There are an abundance of resources. We waste more resources than we ever could possibly use. But there are still, to this point, many people in, uh, especially Western culture here in the United States of America, that like to blame uh, uh, immigration for a use of resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, that like it, it, it is a very, I mean, we not to get political on our podcast, right, right, right. But it is a huge conservative talking point that there's so only so many resources to go around, and immigrants take up. Uh, an unnecessary chunk of them. And that's under now, which is as good as this dystopian future that we're looking at it could ever possibly be. So now you're in this where resources are actually limited and there are actual problems and people put a lot of the emphasis on immigration, big which time. will keep coming up in this film. And, and, you know, and I didn't really say it because I didn't really think about it. I don't, I, I don't think you thought about it, but the, the wor- world building alert... So, uh, multiple times at this point, there's in, in, in the city, in London, wherever they are, I mean, we're talking like full on immigration centers. We're talking people behind fences. Oh yeah. There's oh, people, yeah, is, uh... all immigrants just being treated second class, I mean, third class citizens oh, just yeah. treated terribly. And it's not even the worst you're going to see in this movie, by the way, but this is just, People, this is Theo just walking down the street with his fucking coffee, watching and you, people and behind li- fences where there's like guard dogs on the corners of streets. Yeah. so this is keeping the world people locked up. Yes, that they're in. So this is like a real heavy situation. So, and I mean, and also, in, in uh, you're going to find yourself when you watch this film, you're going to find if you haven't already, but and I'm sure if you have watched it, you're like us, and you have found yourself looking is that yeah. So you 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 absolutely sympathize with the plight of the immigrant especially in this film and how unfair and it's there's like a, a complete lack of any national government sympathy for the immigrant it's actually quite it's more of an antithesis right yeah. but a central point that emerges from this exact conversation is that the fishers are like are you kidding we can't possibly let the government know that this woman mm-hmm. is pregnant right uh and so that now you're getting into the fish's agenda, mm-hmm. right? And so we never really, to a certain point, get to really figure out what that stance is ever going to officially would it be, how the British government would react to a baby, because the fishes are bound to never, ever let it be an issue. So now, at this point, you have no reason not to trust the fishes in, in this regard. But it just kind of gives you an idea that here's a situation and a central point, which we will go into later in this film. I think really the main central allegory in this movie is that when a problem is so dire, and a solution can possibly be presented, people immediately rush to politicize it. And mm. that is what this movie says. We're going to politicize saving art. We're going to politicize uh, resources. We're going to politicize the end to infertility. 
Uh, they're going to politicize the youngest person in the world. And it's like it's we, they immediately rush to label it, brand it, and make it their solution. Mm-hmm. And that is going to be a absolute theme uh, from this point here. And we're only in the second act of this movie, people. This movie is heavy. Like I said. It is the heaviest. This movie is a whole lot. Mm. And it's a lot to digest if you're open to it. And we are just getting to the good part. So, okay. Uh, well, you, okay. So now that I had interrupted you. You now can... I can continue with yes, the motorbike. I apologize. So after this whole ordeal, Luke has made... Luke, the driver of the car in which uh, Julianne Moore is killed, is now elected leader of the fishes. Clive Owen has seen that Key, uh, this young immigrant, is in fact pregnant with what could be, and is most likely, the only baby in the world. <laughs> Is inside That's this heavy. woman. His ex-wife was killed earlier that day, and he's just outside of this safe house trying to process this, admix this dystopian, apocalyptic, and political turmoil when he hears a motorbike approach. And lo and behold, as he follows in his very inquisitive nature, because really at this point, what does he have to do except absorb? It's what he's been doing all day, just absorbing and reacting. Right. That's what he does the whole movie. And he notices that uh, that the motorbike looks very eerily similar to the motorbike that he, Don, fucked up when uh, trying to save Julianne Moore's life. And, oh no, it is the same yeah, motorbike. The guy's getting off. You could, I mean, you, and now, and here's the thing. not. Yeah. The one is like dying. Yeah. The other one uh, is actually, he's the one with the dreadlocks. He was one of the ones that. I but kidnapped. I'm just gonna go ahead and just go point. There's a lot of white people with dreadlocks in this movie. So, there's a couple. Yeah. And there, well, there, it's there's all, like two. Yeah. Well, I mean, but they're all central. <laughs> Was that too too many for you? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, possibly. <laughs> I don't know. You know, we don't. We'll have an att- tune in for a future episode about cultural appropriation, especially British people in dystopian apocalyptic features. But I was going to say the white guy with dreadlocks because you because he comes up later. But I, I I feel like there are multiple. Why I brought that up is there are multiple white guys with dreadlocks in the second half of this movie. Well, two. Okay. Well, the first one we see. <laughs> the first one is Michael King. He doesn't. He has a ponytail. I thought he had dreadlocks. No, he has. Yeah, no, he has really long hair. He has really. really he's, he's full. He's like OG hippie. Yeah, he's yeah, got yeah, like yeah, photographer. Yeah, yeah. I stand long hair. very yeah. correct. He look. He's like um, if steampunk never really ever, uh, you know. Of, and this is a world where steampunk never had time to exist because the world ended. <laughs> yeah. But somebody would be steampunky with Michael Caine's hair. And it's for getting off base. Yeah. So anyway, <clears> the motorcycle guys show up, and it's the two people. That were on that bike that uh, Clive Owen straight fucked up, and yeah. he one of those guys is dying. Yeah, yeah. And the other one that's not dying is a white guy in dreadlocks. There we go, and he is pissed. He's, he he wants to off uh, Theo, and that's when Luke says, "We'll do him in the morning mm. after we move the girl." Mm. And it's like, and now Theo was on the other side of. He's like on the outside of the house. He snuck out on the outside of the he house. Never he's by the window. Really knew until that moment. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, because so now. It's obviously revealed, if you haven't been paying attention, that Luke was effectively behind Julian's murder. Yes. Which is a big fucking deal. It's not a murder now. It's it, an assassination. It's an assass- It's a hit. It's a hit. She was, was assassinated. It was wet work. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. even know what the fuck that even means. I don't know. Somebody will point it out to us. Actually, no, they won't because... Because no one knows what it means. fucked up. 
we've already recorded this and we don't care. We're, hopefully we never say the word wet work again. We you do. just fucking did. We're working uh, uh, towards a different subject. But no, yeah, it's an, it's a political assassination almost yep, the point. Yep, yep. So because undoubtedly, as you find out, Luke has absolutely no desire to turn Key and her soon-to-be-born child over to the Human Project because Luke has a political agenda. And Luke is insane. Yes. There's like a really cool shot, though, like right before they end that scene where he comes over to the guy, the, the, the guy, the dreadlocks, and he's um like, you know, hey, 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 you know, don't worry, we'll take care of your cousin. Because his cousin's the one who's about to die. Yeah, he's on the yeah. motorcycle. Like, he's, oh, he, you get your, he's, a, he's a good soldier. You're a good soldier. You know, all this stuff. And he goes, and he just pulls out his gun, puts two cents. If you break po- protocol ever again, I'll shoot you. Mm-hmm. Like t- stone cold. Straight up. Luke ain't right. See, now, I, 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 I didn't see it as crazy. You and, didn't? Oh, man, that's no, what no, I saw. No, and it's, it's not, not as like a crazy as in mental illness crazy. I think that you're at the point where uh, in a survival situation, right? You see, those in a, see that trope in a lot of situations where a character has been so exposed to a survival situation for so long that their rationale is completely mm-hmm. shot. Mm-hmm. And I think we have the luxury of being in the audience that we just jump in with Clive Owen in the beginning of this movie as a person who simply doesn't care. He's almost just waiting to die, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but these people care so much julianne moore luke uh, the fishes and a lot of their political rivals everybody cares way more than he does they care so much that they've been driven into this is not like their first survival situation this is multiple levels and at this point luke has been well exposed well before the start of this film to the idea that he knows that there's a pregnant woman yeah and they have access to her and he has gone from from being possibly before the film ever starts reactionary to this is he's convinced himself that this is right because there's a survival situation not just for him but for his political group for his country perhaps for even the whole world and there is nothing else to consider this must be the way and so i didn't see crazy as in uh snapped lunacy eating somebody i saw uh absolutely when you rub that paper just so it's thin and you can see through it and all it takes is just a little pinprick and now there's no bottom to it anymore and there's nothing he won't do and then by killing because you clearly see earlier in the film act one you see clear reverence for luke for julian Moore. like he sees that this this is he he answers to her he oh, respects completely. her completely and but he, ha- he he has her murdered because he thinks that the solution for Key is to stay with them. Yes. And so that's a point. I don't see that as crazy. I see that as so desperate that he becomes cold to it. All right. In my opinion. But moving along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, So So the plan is that Clive Owen's going to die in the morning through a white guy with dreadlocks. (laughs) They're going to put him down. If I'm ever going to be murdered, please don't let it be by a white guy with dreadlocks. Please, okay. I'll see what I can do. You know, it's all white guys with dreadlocks. Stay the fuck away from me. <laughs> At least with murder in your eyes, right? Go see, go see somebody murder else in with your eyes. eyes. I avoid no people with murder in their yeah, eyes I was around say, me. You should try, but to... especially if I see a white guy with dreadlocks coming with hate in his eyes, <laughs> I am not getting out of my car. My doors are going locked, and I'm going to drive to a place where I feel safe, like so, a, like a Barnes and Noble. Another really cool scene. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time breaking it down, but it was a really this movie has a lot of really cool extended one-shot, one-cut scenes. Oh, yeah. It's a hallmark of the film uh, from a 
uh, cinematography standpoint. And this is another one, not nearly as long as the the car shot or the other shot we'll talk about later. But it's a really cool one that he's like, you know, uh, you know, messing with the other cars, sneaking them out. He, so he gets key, gets Miriam. He says, "Listen, they're gonna, they're, they don't, they had Julian killed. They want to do this and this. You can't be trusted. Let's get the fuck out of here." They're mm-hmm. like, "All right, word, let's go." Yep. Uh, so he sneaks them out. A really cool shot. There, so the really important part of this scene is he he like undo like he like pulls like the the I don't know like the certain like cables that go to like the the battery to different cars as he's oh, sneaking he, around. Yeah, he he renders other cars yeah. completely inoperable. Yeah. Um, and he gets to the car he needs to get to. He gets in, but it needs to be like jump started or something. And he's no, he pushes push it. It, it has yeah. to be pushed to get the yeah. motor going. So there's your tension. Yeah, so they get in the car, they finally get it down the hill, but it stops. It like just runs like it just it doesn't go any farther. So fun fact, like I said before, the dogs had approached him earlier in the movie, liked him a lot. And yeah. the guy who owned the dogs in the house is, "Oh, they don't like anybody." But these two dogs, these two or three dogs, didn't have a problem with them whatsoever. These dogs reached them before everybody else does, and they just run around him. Mm-hmm. They don't do anything. Nothing. They just bark at him. They have no interest in No him. interest in harming him. They could have torn him limb from limb. End of movie. Which is why I wrote in my notes that the dogs are the real heroes to the movie. Oh, I like that. Because if those dogs had treated him like he, they treated everybody else... The movie would have ended there. It would have ended there. Yeah. But the dogs saved the world. They did. In a lot of ways. Spoiler alert for how the movie ends, but... Yeah, for but sure. Fact, I didn't. Do, you still. Hey, you should have seen the movie by now. God damn it! Your father is crying. <laughs> your father is now sitting there wearing your underpants in his laundry area, just hating you because you didn't fucking watch Children of Men. God damn it! So anyhow, think about your ancestors. They they were able to get away. And make a speedy re- uh, getaway to Jasper's. Well, I mean, they're, they, Clive Owen realizes where they are. And they're not too far off from a place that, as we mentioned earlier, Jasper's house is very well hidden. Yeah, it's off the grid. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get there, and it's, uh, you know, Jasper is really excited to find out that there's a baby coming into the world. He is super stoked. Yeah, and it just, and again, the other part of levity in this entire movie is this scene. Yes, this is the this is the other. There are really two memorable lines of dialogue in this entire thing that aren't heartbreaking lines of dialogue, and they're the only two yeah. l- moments of levity in the scene. So now Jasper is so excited that Clive Owen showed up, and he's got a pregnant girl, and he has new people to meet. That he breaks out the good weed. Yeah, strawberry cough. Strawberry cough, and it's called that because after you take a hit and you cough, you taste strawberries. Although Clive Owen, Theo apparently did not. No, because he's a son of a bitch. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, of course, he only he wants bourbon cough. <laughs> he wants maybe. bourbon cough. But, I mean, yeah. So, so it, it's uh, what, here's here's what's interesting is that this is the last point in the film that we get before this whole thing starts. The, the, this is before they push the cart over the hill, and the thing just continues <laughs> yeah. until this whole thing bottles off, uh, bottoms out. And here you get the last point of pure honest like contemplation uh in the film for these characters so mm-hmm. key uh so so we'll go back we'll start we'll end with key last so clive owen is still trying to wrap his damn head about what he's going to do and how he has still he has decided 
through the course of his stay here, to continue to find the human project. And now, Miriam is, uh, her number one priority is, is still key, right? Mm-hmm. And Michael Kane, Jasper, is just over the moon elated to have someone to smoke weed with that's not Clive Owen, right? But Key, this is her, probably, from, from her perspective, with the exception of the car, and even then, because she doesn't fully, as we know, trust Clive Owen yet at that point in the movie, and definitely doesn't trust Luke, as we would find out. Uh, this is probably her most pure interaction with anybody in the entire film. And she's sitting in the middle of this area yeah. while Principal Trunchbull and Michael Caine <laughs> act circles around this entire room, right? While Clive yeah. Owen just sits there and reacts to it. And he's yeah. just like, all right, I'm going to back up and let this I'm a back up and let this happen, right? Yeah. So was they, that Clive Owen? That was not. That was awful, no, too. That was terrible. So no. I don't hear your I shit. I did a good one earlier. <laughs> Dear listener, go back and listen <laughs> go to... Go back and listen to my Clive Owen. To my Clive Owen. Owen. And uh, my Michael Caine isn't bad, but that's that's that was terrible. That was terrible. As a matter of fact, I'm going to now do Clive Owen as an Australian. <laughs> I thought you said Clive Owen as Michael Caine. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to do I'm going to do Michael Caine as Clive Owen. Oh, you know, I just go see you there. So uh, you know, uh, the whole world got end. Yeah, you know, what do Massa Wayne. Some <laughs> Clive. Wait, 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 wait. Wait. Okay. This is worth it. Some Clive Owens just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> There's the payoff. Oh, that's Billy left. Mm. So anyway, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. So so they're all having and like we we you know dear dear listener, we said this movie betrays you, and for a brief moment, man. Just like in that car scene, but even worse. For a brief moment, you forget what fucking movie you're watching. You do a little bit. You do, and you don't... It's Just a sidebar. I always say, From Dust Till Dawn, the movie, Mm -hmm. is the best vampire movie ever made. Because you know it's a vampire movie when you hit play. But you almost... You definitely don't want it to become a vampire movie by the time you get to that point. You're having too good a time watching the actual movie unfold. And this, you know what's happening. You know what movie you're watching. But you don't, you you know, if you realize, oh, the whole movie just ends with them sitting around smoking weed and jagging around Michael Caine's house. <laughs> That's a pretty good you know, movie, all right, all right, pretty great. This is a weird trip. All right, everyone ends happy. No one needs to know. The baby grows up on this hippie farm all the way. Everybody's and you're, Everyone's great and everyone's having a good time. And then, uh, uh, just when everyone's having a great so, time, coughing strawberries. Yeah, so, yeah, everybody's having, uh, so, um... The night passes. They wake up in the middle of the morning, early morning, I would assume, to this you know alarm going off because living off the grid and knowing that there are shady people in the world, Jasper has a, a security system set up. He does. So Luke and company have trailed them. They have found where they are. And let me tell you something. I'm a grown-ass man. Yeah, you are. Can't verify looking right at you, grown-ass man. And there are some scenes... That just, yeah, you, know, you don't, you don't get misty, misty eye necessarily, but you feel that shit. Yeah. So okay, Michael, Kane, like, so we missed a plot point before the night before. Michael Kane says, "Hey, I have an idea. I have, I have maybe have a way that we can get key where she needs to go." He's a guy I sell way to. Yeah, some. Uh, he's a Sid. prison bus driver. Sid. 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 Sid don't care. Yeah. Sid don't care at all. Uh, so that's literally how he talks. That's literally, he talks in a third person. But we'll get there when we, right there. So, Sid. He, uh, Sid agrees to get them into a prison camp and 
Bexhill? Bex so, something or other? Oh, wait, 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 wait. Just to go back one extra little step. So we talked about this. One of the weird wrapping around themes of this movie, strangely, is immigration. Yeah. And you find out that their point of contact for the human project is outside of this town called Bexhill, which has been converted into an immigration prison prison camp. Yeah. So this entire idea of not wanting to give a baby over because it's an immigrant baby and the government hates immigrants, they have to break in to an immigrant prison camp in order to deliver this baby and then break back out yeah. of it again. This is the closest it's they can in- get to a boat. Crazy. Yeah. So and Sid's a guard there, and Michael Caine sells him weed. Yeah. Um. So Michael Caine makes the connection. Let's jump. Yeah. So he makes the connection. Goes talks to Sid. Sid says, "Hey, that's a good idea." So Sid uh, allows this to happen. So the plan is, that as Michael Caine, as Jasper explains to everybody, you know, here, give him this, give him this, tell him he's a fascist pick, call him a fascist pick, uh, and originally, you know, Jasper, I guess, was supposed to come with them, mm-hmm. but. The shit ain't happening. No. Not uh, enough time. So he no. says, hey, I'll buy you some time. And Theo's like, what are you talking about? You know, that sort of thing. He goes, I've, get, I've, I've talked my way out of worse situ- well, situations. You know, because it is, it is heavily implied that Michael Caine is the photographer to his comatose wife's reporter. And that he's also been in wartime situations. Mm-hmm. So, and that's why he is. So, Enter. Wait. Wait. Before you say the words and before you get it out of your mouth. And uh, before we go... There is a moment uh-huh. when he tells him about Sid, and it one of the things that betrays you subtly about this film is for the, the two previous interactions between Michael Caine and Clive Owen in this, the pacing is very deliberate. It's mm-hmm. slow yeah. and casual. Friends very casual. Letting the air, because they don't have shit to do. The world's ending. Mm-hmm. What are they going to do? <laughs> Yeah, that's what do they got to do? They got to get talk about. Oh, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be great, right? And they do all that, and it's super casual. And now, in this moment of urgency, and they say goodbye. All you want is like a one more sentence said between the two, mm-hmm. and it's cut off. It's just it's abrupt. Poor abrupt. Theo is just like fucking just been pushed around this whole damn movie into his react- best friend now. Reaction. The only, literally, the only other person he's known before this movie starts yeah. has pushed him away to save his life, and he's going to buy him time. And all you wanted was one more thing, and it's like just go, just go, just go. And take so, <sighs> Michael Caine puts on a song. Now, I don't know the name of this song, but I've heard it before. And uh, I don't know who it's even by. I don't think it's by the Beatles, maybe? I think it's the song by the Turtles. But it's I the tur- Beatles, it. Turtles, fuck. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> uh, goodbye, Ruby Tuesday, right? Yeah. So, goodbye, Ruby Tuesday. And so sad, because he's giving quietness to his wife. Yeah. That is what made me sad. Yeah. Because he walks over to her. The song is playing, and he so gently and lovingly gives his wife a suicide pill because he does not want her to endure any more than she has endured in her life. Yeah. You know how kind of the. To do that, the love you have to have for your partner to do that. Well, yeah, because just to add into that, uh, first of all, it's Rolling Stones. Ruby Tuesday. So it wasn't but, a stone. It was a stone, it, not a beetle it, or a turtle. Yes, but it's pre. It's pre. Uh, Can I tell you? I never even heard of the turtles before until today. Uh, happy together. 
You and me, and me. Oh, that's that's them. That's the turtles. Well, fuck. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll go on about a random musical history in a musical episode. But, Interesting. Um, he knows. I mean, this is a guy who's been around war and reporting and political faction all his life. He knows that there's two ways that this ends for him. He gives up his friends, or it ends the way he ends. His wife's not in a position to defend himself. Now, one respectful thing we could probably say, the only respectful thing we could say about the fishes at this point in the film is that they have no concerns with brutalizing anybody. They have singular goal-driven mind. Mm -hmm. But how could Michael Caine know that? Right. So that quietus that we saw earlier in the film, that he was just, oh, I'm just jagging you around, uh, comes into play. Oh, man. Sad as shit. And you know what? I didn't notice this until I watched, because... That scene is so heavy, and every time I've watched it, I'm just reeling from well, the realization him of what's doing happening. what he's doing, yeah. what's about to happen. Oh, <laughs> hello! So they go in. Okay, they say, "Who's in there?" No one's in there. Just a dead woman and a dog. And then I realized he gave the dog quietest too, mm-hmm. and it made me fucking even sadder. Actually, I was like, "God." Poor dog. They're probably going to shoot the dog anyhow. But fuck, man. He didn't want anybody else to suffer. Like, all for this baby. Oh, I mean, yeah, for hope. For hope. For hope, right? And what he does, too. And this is this is the straight-up g moment in this movie. <laughs> Put my <clears throat> <up>. <laughs> Yeah, right? The straightest yeah, 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 g yeah, yeah. moment in this entire movie. I mean, like, yeah. an all-time most badass moments in a movie... Here's a film about dystopian depression and the end of humanity and the one last hope. And here is this badass old hippie Michael Caine walks up to surely his death. And the thing he says is not stick a middle finger up, but he looks right at his would-be murderers and says, Pull my finger. (laughs) Fucking shot the finger off. They did. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but that's like in the most that if that isn't the most harmless hippie way to make a stand and a defiant gesture while still no at- violence towards that way, it was just incredible. Like of all the ways in these movies, you see someone they pull out the gun and like death by cop, and they're going down in the blaze of glory and yeah. attaches the grenade to himself. No, no, it's just. Pull my face. Just defiance. And, 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 and for the record, that scene was super fucking tense. Like, the, the everything. The everything. Because the, the shot's, like, really far away, and Theo's watching this happen. Yeah. That's the other thing. Theo's watching this yes, happen we don't, yeah, from a distance. Yeah, yes. And you're feeling what he's feeling. Like I believe the soundtrack in that moment is literally one note that just holds for yeah. the entire three minutes. And they, they just shoot him, like, three times. They shot him once, shot his finger off after saying, pull my finger, shot his finger off. He goes... In the most Michael Caine way, fuck you. <laughs> and they shoot him again, mm-hmm. and then they shoot him again because then after they shot him the the shot of the finger, he says fuck you. They shoot him again after asking like you know where are they? Where are they? He goes pull my finger one more. T-. They pull pull my finger. They shoot him dead. Yep. And they're just like, this shit cannot end. No. And Theo again doesn't have time to fucking grieve. No. No. They just get in the car. We gotta fucking go. And, and as you're saying that, I'm realizing here about a point in the movie is really, in a way, Theo's had absolutely every moment from the loss of his child until the beginning of this movie to grieve everything. Because he ain't gonna get shit 
throughout the rest of this yeah. movie. He'll have no time for Zero anything. Zero time. You don't even get to see Theo take a shit in this movie. <laughs> Thankfully. Yeah. I mean, that's riveting five minutes. Yes. So, I, don't know. I don't know about the fiber con- consistency in the dystopian uh, diet is, but keep going. So, they get to a school... There's a little, not even levity, but this is the moment of calm where Miriam and, and Theo have a moment. They talk about, you know, the day. Because Miriam was a midwife, a former midwife. And she yeah. talked about the days when, you know, the baby stopped coming, basically. Sid shows up. <laughs> Sid. And uh, he, he he gets, he, he, so Theo says, you know, you're a fascist pig. And Sid, you know, pretends he's going to murder him, but he doesn't. And uh, he's, you know, all excited about getting his weed and getting them into the Bex Hill. Is it Bex Hill? So it's very close to that, if it's not, yeah. So anyhow, they get in. They're told to go find a woman named Murica. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Which is, think about that. <laughs> Murica. Uh, so on the way there, Key's water breaks. Mm-hmm. A big fucking problem here. We cannot be given birth on a fucking prison bus. <laughs> All right, so they're breaking into a prison camp. As her water breaks. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Miriam, God bless her, sacrifices herself to get them in. Because they were originally going to go for Key because Key's groaning and moaning and rocking back and yeah. forth. And the prison guard's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? So Miriam stands up, starts saying shanti shanti, all sorts of shit. And they end up like, you know, busting her in the mouth and dragging her off the bus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's fucking dead. And you're never going to see her again. And so Theo gets... Key off the bus finds uh, Murica. Is it Murica? I think it's Murica. Yeah. And get them. Murica gets them into this this house, this apartment. So the baby is born. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So should we explain the circumstances that happen while this baby's being born? Well, I mean, they're on the floor. There's like a lantern. It's a dirty floor. The lighting and no, here, here's something else. Just from a pure filmmaking uh, kind of appreciation standpoint, this movie is shot very bleak. There's no, with the exception of maybe the lighting a little bit in Michael Caine's house. The movie shot very British, like an overtone, like over overcast kind of tones. Yeah. Even the lightest part of the movie still looks kind of muffled by clouds. It's cloudy weather, as bright as it is. The movie is not very bright. No, not at all. And not very colorful, super drab the whole time. But in this scene, it is absolutely, and this is going to come into play in a few minutes after this, but it is absolutely the dimmest, darkest, grittiest of all the scenes up to this movie, the birth scene. It is as dark and shrouded and, and as bleak as any of the other scenes are shot. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, and and uh, I actually kind of forgot about the the vagina shot. Yep, right in there. Like right Crowding. when the baby comes out, there's it, 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 well done. Yes, having seen this exact thing in real life, I tell you, flat uh, out. Yeah, woof. Yeah, I have not. Uh, yeah. I saw it on the Miracle of Life. Yeah, I mean, and it's the, not the same. The internet is an amazing place. I guess you, you could do that too, dear viewer. You know, just Google crowning and uh, go for it, but. I'm telling you what, yeah, but it's excellently shot. Oh my god! Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so the baby's born, and it's a powerful moment, man. Like, it, it, I, I know I will not do that scene justice, and neither will Mister Brown here. Nope. Because the scene is just powerful. Watching life come into the world, 
where there is no new life. Where there has not been new life <laughs> for 18 years. You know, is a, is a pretty cool moment. And, um, fast forward to the next day and it's a really, and, and oh, and I'm, and I'm, we're skipping kind of the importance of the bonding between Theo and Key. Cause this is a big fucking deal. Yeah. He's, Helping her give birth. He's her, coaching her, her through. Her doula, her midwife is gone. Yeah. Everyone else that she's trusted up until this point, with the exception of Clive Owen, is gone. And dead. And now and now she just is surrounded by other people and circumstances that she does not trust in a place she's never been before. And the only grounding thing is Theo. Yeah. And, and here, we, here we approach. She he, he coaches her through and she gives birth. I mean, and it's funny. It's... it's she, I remember a key couple at one point in the movie says before the birth and everything, like, I don't even like, like, I'm, I've never really seen like a, a, like, what do babies even look like? I don't even really know. Mm-hmm. That's heavy. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and to her, to have that character with this guy, she just met like two days, three days prior, Tops. maybe. Tops. He's giving birth. He's helping her give birth. And he's, 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 he, he, it's cool. Like watch him like pour like alcohol in his hands and sterilize his hands and yeah. try to. It, it's but heavy, he's, but he's trembling. Yeah, he's, he's, he's terrified. Absolutely terrified for what so if he many fucks different this things. Up? He's also here's an also thing too, and I noticed this like the third time I watched this with the trembling in his hands. Uh-huh. He hasn't drank anything in two days, and he's an alcoholic. He's starting to have. I swear he drinks at Jasper's. He does not drink at Jasper's. He doesn't. So he gets. Like he this, starts to, but he doesn't. He never fully drinks. So he hasn't drank since what's her name dies, uh, Julianne Moore. Mm. So he's starting right here in this point in, in the last act of the movie. He, you know, oh, the uh, spoiler alert before we get there, he, he's starting the early onset from the alcohol withdrawal. So I know we've we've got yeah, we've been at this for over an hour and a half. But the good news for the listeners out here. Shit's gonna move real fast here. We there's, are there's rapid. not a lot of details to Ladies cover. and gentlemen, we have rounded the Pacific <laughs> Avenue and we are gearing towards Park Place and Boardwalk. Yes. And so next day, Sid shows up. Sid knows. Sid Sid figures some shit. He he pretends like he's gonna help, but he's not gonna help. And he puts him at gunpoint, like, let's get the fuck out of here. Like, you're worth money. You know, oh, mm-hmm. the best, I actually, one of my favorite moments in this yes. fucking film is when he sees the baby, he goes, Jesus, Jesus Christ. Like, his, yeah. like his reaction is so He had so no pure. idea what he was really getting involved in. <laughs> there's a fucking baby here, you know? Uh, so, but, there's a revolution. Yes. So, to set this last, and which is, with all due respect to this film, and we've been glowing about this movie for the last 90 minutes, right? <laughs> yeah. This movie makes or breaks itself on the second half of Act 3. Like, that Act 3 is one of the most pivotal, powerful acts. But to set up this idea that they've, they've broken into this refugee prison camp, this immigrant prison camp, to give birth to this baby. So very, all that, when before they get there, that separates them from the human project, presumably, if it's even real. Mm-hmm. And their goal is this town that is now a camp that she has to give birth smack dab in the middle of. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that the whole concept we've been telling you about immigration and refugee status in this entire movie starts to come to a head to where the the refugees begin to stage an uprising in this yeah. camp. Yeah. And the government has to come in to suppress it. So it's an active oh, And they war- suppress all right. And it's an active genocidal war zone <clears throat> suddenly the next day. In addition, the fishes led by Luke know exactly where they were supposed to meet 
the human project anyway, Julianne Moore certainly told them, so they know that they've also now broken in yeah. to this refugee camp where all-out war and mass murder is about to, is starting to take place. So now, and to piggyback off what you said, so Sid's trying to get him out to get to wherever so he can get a reward. Who knows? Yeah. So obviously our heroes break free from his grips, and mm-hmm. Sid gets his fucking face cracked open mm-hmm. which are really brutal it was very for 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 as much struggle as in this movie it was very abrupt quick. it was abrupt and not in a satisfying way it yeah. did you did not feel you know sid's a douche but you did not feel good watching him get hit with that <laughs> it was like crack like that and you're like oh, oh yeah and the body goes stiff it's yeah. really horrifying realism in the violence in this movie so they are able to get to some safety which yeah. is the third and final moment of peace. When the little old lady's doting over the baby. Which was super adorable. Yeah. Super cool. Super cute. Because this little lady, little probably probably fucking hundred years old, hasn't seen a fucking baby in a long time. And she's doting over the baby and 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 and, mm-hmm. and I think uh Theo's soaking his feet because his feet have been put through the fucking ringer this entire movie. Oh yeah, he's in pain. There's a whole entire subplot for his fucking feet. Yeah, we're, we're, which we didn't talk about once. We, we've we've gone too far. Yeah, but his, I, I should have brought it up. But it's but not uh, he's got big Hulk and Clive Owen feet that suffer this entire movie. The whole fucking the film. whole movie, like not like right, like two shades of John McClane walking on glass in this movie. Like his feet are having a bad you fucking day. You don't really <laughs> notice it until until you start to get to the ja- second Jasper scene that this man is suffering in a lot of different ways. Yeah. So. um... They, there's a guy who helps them get to the boat. They're on the way to the boat. Now, this enters the other really fucking cool one shot. Now, this is, if I could hop in here. 379 seconds, by the way. 379 seconds of what has to be, quite frankly, maybe top five most powerful single shots ever done. Would you mind if I uh, please? If I can help set the yeah, stage, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you can hit the hit dude, the. Dude, tsh- dude. I got a little fun fact about it too that you'll dig. I'm gonna love it. I'm gonna love it. So, all this entire third act is that Theo and Key are so inching closer, and the closer they get to their goal, the further they seem to have to get away. Every time they turn a corner, war is happening, and they have to turn a different corner to the point where they have found themselves. In the middle of this all-out military-fueled genocide, running from the fishes, and all of these horrible things, and they find themselves in this building while the the refugees like and they're they're, they're they have nowhere to run. They're, we're talking about armor tanks and and AP and you know infantry. So they're running and they find themselves swept up with the refugees that are rebelling and they're getting moved into a building and they find themselves next refugees that are actively fighting back against the government and they are getting picked off one by one and, it, and it's in the most horrifying hopelessness that somehow in this movie that is filled with nothing but hopelessness uh they are cornered they are on the top level of a building what so that 379 seconds right the shot where they come out of the building initially with Murica, the guy who finds the boat for them, mm-hmm. Theo and Key and the baby, they roll up. They get close to like where they have to unlock the door. That's when the fishes show up. Luke mm-hmm. and company show up. 
and obviously they're caught now. So that's where like that the scene starts there. Okay, so mm-hmm. all right, because the the top level part that is like after that. But but the reason I stopped you is really important because you'll dig this. So the shot is for everybody who's never seen this film or who finally just watched it. <laughs> Please tell me Your you watched it. Your grandfather did not die on the beach of Normandy. <laughs> what? <laughs> just so you could not fucking watch this movie. God damn it, George. So, all right. So the shot is fucking phenomenal. Again, 379 seconds of one shot, but it's not just like one shot of people, two people talking. It's a whole oh, it's, lot it's of it's shit. It's a whole lot of movement. Oh my so, God. It's an active war scene. Yeah. They're put on their, their knees. What the guy who helped them initially is, is executed. They take key and they run off and they're going to execute Theo and so on and so forth in America. But then someone starts shooting at them. So that gives them a little bit of wiggle room to get away. Mm-hmm. They're being now they're being shot at by the fishes while they're dodging gunfire from the the insurgents and from like guess the, oh, really dude. the military. This shot is going all over the place, right? There's a point though. You'll remember this. Mm-hmm. Where Theo's running, trying to get to the buildings. He knows that's pretty much where it's happening, is in this building, right? He runs through the bus where all the immigrants, the 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 the, the prisoners were hiding. Yes. And there's a point in which just there's like a little bit of splatter of blood that hits the camera. Mm-hmm. Okay, so cursory, you know, research. That shot, okay, that whole entire scene, okay. Was a big fucking deal, obviously, for this production. Oh, for sure, it's expensive. So yeah, so they almost they originally got clearance to use that location, but then there was like a bombing in the UK, mm-hmm. and they almost didn't get, they almost lost the clearance too because you know this is they're yeah. bombing, blowing things up, and people felt it might be in poor taste, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So they had four day or three days to do it, right? The first day. They did it. The cameraman, like, fell. So they had to reset everything. But that reset takes five hours. They lost sunlight. Hmm. So they do. They tried it the second day. Second day, something else goes wrong while filming. I can't, I can't remember what it was. I, I read it, and I thought it was really cool, but it doesn't matter. They have one fucking day left to get that, that shot. Because there's so much oh, yeah, going God, on. Really, yeah, so many... Including like the building, like that that that, that mortar blast in the building, mm-hmm. all that stuff is in that shot, that three hundred seventy nine seconds. So they're filming the shot. Everything's going perfectly. No one's falling. Everybody's hitting their marks. Everybody's hitting their cues. Everything's going well. And then a squib misfires, and blood hits the camera. So the director, Karan, screams "cut," but no one hears him because it's so loud. And he's furious because he's like, "This is ruining the shot. You can't see anything. No, this isn't this. This isn't my vision." It's, it makes the scene man. right. So, and it, had he had his way, he would have cut that shot, and they'd have lost it then at that point. Mm. I don't know what they would have done. So they, because no one heard him because it was so loud, they finished the whole goddamn thing. And then I went. He was cut finally. Everything's over, and he's you know furious. He's like this and this, and the cinematographer's like, "You fucking dumb. This is it." That's the shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this, like this pulls it, you in. I'm gonna do How that. How cool thing. is that? I, it's, it's first of all, that's incredible. And I'm gonna do that thing that uh, that some some podcasts say. If you watch nothing else this week, <laughs> if you watch nothing else, look up this scene, 379 seconds from the third act of Children of Men, 
as Theo staggers uh, and tries to recover Key while the fishes are attacking in the middle of an active war scene. And this all eventually gets to where Theo and Key and the baby are cornered at the top of this building that is being hammered and shelled by the government against these refugees that they have no 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 business being aligned with but they find themselves in and the and you see soldiers starting to pour into the building mm-hmm. and there are mortars and grenades going off and there is unbelievable shell shocked and then in the moment of unbelievable chaos and noise and hopelessness and destruction you hear baby cry the baby cries um now luke is uh, at this point having had a, had a stand. This is now before the baby cry. He had a standoff with Theo and all that, and you know the, Luke has this moment where he's like, you know, I've I forgot what they sound like. Mm-hmm. Like this moment of humanity, almost like he, he could. It was an object to him until that very moment. It was a. It was. And a, I, now I'm just realizing. I'm saying it wasn't the refugees that they were fighting alongside. The fishes had turned to now start fighting the government mm-hmm. to almost fight their way back out of the yeah. situation. Yeah. That's who was getting pegged, and Theo and Key were caught. Now Theo tries to kind of. There's like obviously gunfire. Theo is able to kind of sneak away with Key, and Luke shoots at him. You know, and um, where he gets his ass blown up. Yeah. So he takes a grenade right to the chest. So you have Theo, Key, and the baby, who has no name yet. Although I think Froley, Fro, Froley, Froley was the name she wanted to name the kid. Terrible fucking name. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody in this building, all the people who are, who are war dying. This is literal like prisoners. the heaviest. War that you can imagine. We're talking about Saving Private Ryan level of heaviness. Yeah. And, and they just stop. Everything stops. And this baby's crying. And it's almost. And when you said earlier, this is one of the last moments of peace. This is the last, mm. like, like mm-hmm. p- pivotal moment of peace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is one of the most powerful scenes you've ever seen. I'm not going to do it justice, but. No. It, he it's is carrying this to. blood being, uh, baby being guarded by Theo. And it's almost as if, in that moment, Key is gliding down these steps, going past... And as you go back down, because they've raced their way up these up to the top floor of this building, as they're coming down the steps, you're seeing all the destruction that's happened since they've gone up. People, like, people dying. There's people, people yeah. all over the place. And there's rows of soldiers, guns out, that would have annihilated, and they're all just... Yeah, blankly. military soldiers. They just stopped. Like, and it and was actually really cool... The, when the at the, the at the bottom when they run into the actual military soldiers they're like they go and the one goes you know hold your fire like he's like this no because you gotta stop you gotta stop you gotta stop and there's a baby and there's everyone a fucking baby stops here and they and all just part and they all wait and it's like this 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 unbelievable moment of, of true honest peace where no matter what sides of this there's the hope that is it right there's there. the hope and 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 I got goosebumps thinking about it right now because it's powerful it's super powerful but what is the most true criticism and send up of the human species is what happens as soon as Theo key. And the baby are out of that scene. They start, fucking they start going trip. right back to war. It's, like the, like yeah. it didn't matter, and they and it didn't matter, and they blow right back. And if that is an indictment of the human condition, 
Well, humans are gonna human. They are gonna. They're always gonna human. It's always it's gonna what be what we human do, thing. unfortunately. So, yeah. uh, you know, we get to the the boat. Murica's Mer- there. Uh, thankful, thank God, America didn't die. Mm-mm. Uh, and she unlocks the door, gets them down to the boat, little rowboat that will take them out because they're supposed to meet this boat at a certain point in the day near uh, a couple of buoys or something mm-hmm. or other. There's one boat, buoy, uh, like a buoy out and past yeah. them. So the they row yeah. out, and finally, they made it. You know, they're they're and and but you start realizing. You know, there's blood in the boat, and and it's not Keys, and it's Theo. Luke got him right at the very end. Before Luke got blown up, he shot at him, and, and uh, got Theo, I guess, in the side and the abdomen. And Theo's dying, mm-hmm. and it was a really cool moment because Theo, you know, the baby starts to cry, and Key don't want the fuck to do. She's never been around babies her entire life, and he's like, you he's gotta, bleeding out. He's dying. He's, he's on this boat. They have. Uh, they have made it into the water, but we don't know if the human project is real or not. They're just drifting out to where they got to go, mm-hmm. and he's bleeding out, and, and the baby starts to fuss. And he's, he 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 tells her what to do. Like you know, you pick the baby up, you gotta pat her on the back. You know, not too hard, not too hard, just gently, gently. And and she does it. The baby calms down, and he's just so satisfied in that one little moment. He gets the parent one. Last he gets time. to fucking be a parent, which I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. That's he, cool. He 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 because it was taken away from him, and one moment he didn't even know he needed it. Uh, he gets to do it, and she tells him that she's gonna name the 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 her daughter's a girl, Dylan, which is his son's name, and uh, he had like a little half smile as he kind of drifts off, and then he dies, and then there's she, like you know moment of like oh my god. She's now, on this fucking boat by herself. And now Key's alone with a baby. And thankfully, that's when you see off in the distance the tomorrow, the boat that's coming to 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 save them, or who knows what. Experiment on them, who knows. But we don't know. No one ever knows. No, and we don't want to know. Yeah, nothing, nothing, yeah, no. We don't no. want to know. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, that is the uh, plot summary of Children of Men. Now, you've been listening to us talk about this movie so far for almost two hours. <laughs> you could have fucking watched it by now and yeah. made your father finally proud of you. Yeah. But, I mean, let's take a, let's take a few moments here to uh, talk about some of the themes that I think are present about the movie. Obviously, um, trust is a huge theme in this film. Yeah. Uh, everyone having their own agenda. Everyone believing that their version of a solution is right to the detriment of all other things. But one of the key moments that always stuck out to me is where when Key reveals her body to Theo and that she's pregnant, the fact that it happens in a barn, in a manger, Mm. is absolutely not lost and not subtle at all. That the one last hope, here's a baby in a manger. Uh, We do not know the father of the baby. Right. You know, and we do not know where where we come from so this idea of the symbol of the there's overall themes of both familiar and uh lost hope in there so that that was not uh lost I me mean, not to not to force christian overtones on anything but i mean it, you put a baby in a manger and there's only really one conclusion right. you can draw yeah. um i also think it was it's really interesting that uh julianne moore isn't herself an immigrant uh, being the only person with a, an American accent in the entire movie as the yeah, leader of people she who was. are anti-immigrants, uh, which didn't stri- it struck me because she's a she was a she still is, but she is a huge star at the time. Mm-hmm. So you're just like, oh, 
you know, Julianne Moore's in this movie. She plays his ex-wife. But you don't really think about, oh, there's it's just essential how she as a grieving mother uh, it, that influenced her politics when she herself was probably discriminated against for A, having had a baby and losing it for through illness and B, being an American in an English uh, in, in a British world and then looking for a woman named Murica at the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, the movie it, it, it was just it's really a heavy experience. If you were... There's a way to watch a movie where like you just experience it and you kind of mm-hmm. almost like it's on rails because it's easy to do that with a movie to watch a movie on rails. Yeah. Uh, but then if you are open to a movie, really just try to digest it, really experience these moments and these emotions. Like it can really affect how you see things. Like not saying like, Oh, watch a movie's going to change the world. It's not about that, but no, it really is. If you look at all, all of it really was about this one human being giving birth to another. Hope. And, and the re- representation of hope. Yeah. And, and how powerful and how strong hope can be for a person, for entire groups of people who hate each other, people who think they hate each other, people who don't like each other, people who think, I got to kill that guy. But if you put hope in the middle of that. They stop. They may and, just stop. And I think that's I think that's important because up until that point in the movie, the hope, until the baby's born, the hope is theoretical. It, it represents a chance of redemption, right? Uh, a, a chance that this baby, because I, I don't know about you, but you kind of expect well, the first time you're watching the film, the baby to maybe be born, but maybe, she, maybe they're going to leave it ambiguous, right? Mm-hmm. And, and out there. Um, and so everyone is killing each other. And murdering and assassinating and betraying each other over this concept of potential hope. Potential hope. And then when the actual hope is presented and it moves and it speaks and it breathes in front of them, uh, it stops. Yeah. Because I think that what it says is that you can try to control and and section off all the solutions and branding that you want. But when humans are faced with an, uh, uh, an actual undeniable positive thing the natural human inclination which is to start fighting before then and immediately after is to recognize it right that's well said watch the sun sunrise you know and then go go to work right but but to recognize that that that's the sunrise i love i always have a hard time because it's it's easy to lump movies where the main character dies Right, it's it's like one sometimes we'll do a survey about the top five movies that isn't this movie, where the main character dies before the end, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's easy to lump that into as oh, it's tragedy, right? And it is, it is, it is, and if something has to be comedy or tragedy, this is for sure a tragedy. But I love the fact that we get what forty seconds, maybe a minute, of key in that boat at the end of that movie, because. Uh, speaking from a pr- first of all, it's it's amazing that the only other time we see him happy is when he's parenting as he's dying, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. speaking uh, from a, pro- a a parent's perspective, uh, she's sitting there in that boat, and then he's gone, and she's all alone. She has no idea what to do. Yeah. The day my daughter was born, and uh, you know, like I know some some people give birth and they're in the hospital for days, and the baby's in the hospital for days. Uh, and we were lucky in that regard. My daughter was born at in before two o'clock, uh, before three o'clock 
on a Thursday, and at 3.30 on a Friday, we were discharged from the hospital. Wow. So less than a day that's later. How, that's wild. And so now they're like, okay, get out of here. And there was this moment of quiet when we got back to our – and we were just getting baby, and I don't know how to do the car seat. And I'm putting this little tiny little thing in this car seat and taking her through the hospital and talking to her the whole time. And I put her in a car, and we get home, and we're all – And then you bring the baby in the house, and then quiet, and you're like – what the fuck do I do now? Yeah, yeah. I have no idea. I'm not alone in a boat and I have no idea what the fuck to do now. <laughs> and I've been reading books for 10 months, right? And preparing for this and I still have no idea what to do. So in that moment where she's alone in that boat, before a solution comes, because you're like, oh, let's feed the baby. Let's, and then you, you, you eventually think, oh, there's gotta be something. <laughs> there's gotta be something a, she's gotta do here. It's a, per, it's a, it's a creature. It's going to do one of three things. It's going to sleep, eat, or shit, right? right? At a moment in time, any moment in time, or work towards those three things. Key's left alone. And it's like, to me, that's another tiny little overtone is that there are themes throughout this whole thing. In a movie where there are, that's based on the idea that we can have no more babies, you see familiar themes of parenting, right? Uh, regret. Mm. Right? Could I have done better? We, you know, I, uh, we feel that way about our kids. Our parents feel that way about us. We feel that way about our parents. Um, almost like uh, look at hopelessness. You see reckless abandon. Yeah. Uh, coming down maybe too hard. Uh, when perhaps a softer touch might have been necessary. Uh, gun barrel diplomacy, which when you put it in a parenting perspective, isn't just. You know, do this because I'm your father, right? In that regards, but it's there's there's uh, when you present a creature with an ultimatum, they're forced to take it or deal with the consequences. Correct, right? And yeah. I think that is absolutely not only true in parenting, but in, in this film, absolutely. What's going to happen when we when we uh, if Julianne Moore won't uh, focus and do what we say? They they kill her. Gun barrel diplomacy, and it's the same way. I think there's themes for parenting all the way through mm-hmm. Jasper. Jasper then represents the other son, where you have strict parents, people who do what's best, and I will do what's best for our baby and our country, regardless if they like it or not, which is what the fishes kind of do. Jasper is like, there's a humility and 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 being almost sacrificed to it, right? And there's just the way you had mentioned with how he loves his wife yeah. and the dog to do that. Yeah. You know? I think you see that in how is it, that, that's a parenting style. It is there, so I think you see you see whole themes throughout it, and then just to have Theo at the end give that last little thing, little uh, he's able to give something. He's so to weak, her. he's so weak, and he's he's drifting. He's like he's you know he's going at that yeah. point. I mean, the movie's got. I mean, it's I mean, it's about trauma, and I mean, it it, what 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 movie what movie isn't? It, but it is about trauma. It's about Austin Powers is not about trauma. Damn it. I mean, maybe you're it's right. basically like sexual assault. <laughs> but I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of emotional trauma in this movie. There's a lot of like unresolved trauma. There's a lot of physical trauma. You know, mm. I realized something as we were talking about this movie. This has nothing to do with trauma, but there's a little point that I want to bring up. This movie had quite a few action sequences. Yeah, a lot of violence, and at no point, not once, not a yeah, not a single time. Did our protagonist, Theo Ferran, ever pick up a gun and fire it? Nope. The most he did aggressively to somebody... Smashed his head in. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah, it was, was, was the pipe, which was pure defensively and reactionary with the door. And I think reactionary sums up Theo the whole time. 
Yeah, it, it, the movie is just a, it's a really unique experience, a really unique. I cannot even begin, and 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 that's you said I don't know how many a while ago about how everything's politicized in the movie and how that's what people do, and just you know going and like looking through the lens of Theo in this world, like he's so disillusioned, he sees it. Mm-hmm. He's not buying the bullshit, you know. He he's li- quite literally the only person in the beginning in that coffee shop not mourning Diego's death. Yeah, he's like, "Can I have two sugars, please?" <laughs> you know, he's like, "Can I need to go? I gotta go to work." We, we have things to do. Yeah, he goes to work, and everybody in his office in the different cubicles are mourning Diego's death. He goes to his boss's office to request to leave, and his boss is mourning Diego's death. Like it is a world mourning experience, it is. and he is so f- over this bullshit. He's so jaded, so over all of it, mm-hmm. because of his own past traumas, because of his unresolved issues with his ex-wife, because of missing his fucking son, and anybody who's experienced loss of a loved one like that is really close to you, you grieve them every day of your life. You will just do so. That is the process. I think of grieving is just. It's just, it's, it's daily. For you sure. just get better at living with it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You know, that's some of the best advice I've ever, ever given in my life is, you know, there's not a day that's going to go by that you're not going to miss that person. You just get better at missing them. You get better at handling it, mm-hmm. but you will think of them every single day. And to lose a child, I can only imagine, mm-hmm. you know, you, it's hard enough to you know, lose a parent or a sibling uh, or even a spouse, but to lose a kid, mm. that's uh, that's something else entirely. Yeah. But you know, so the character is dealing with all that trauma, and for him to go from point A, drinking at nine o'clock in the morning, <laughs> pouring coffee in his uh, poured boo- putting coffee in his booze, mm-hmm. to you know guiding, <laughs> hey, man, that. yeah, guiding this girl on how to how to calm and burp her child, how to calm the child down, but in his last moments on the planet Earth, yeah, this is fucking awesome to me. Oh, it's so good. And I, from a from my last thought about, and we could, we could spend another two and a half hours dissecting this movie, but I actually do like from a from a character standpoint, excuse me, that Luke is the one that gets him. Yeah. And I like it because it shows one more time the consequences of of like a, of a narrow single focus. That Luke, though he became for a moment aware that it was a life and it was not an object anymore, that the the instinct was still the so beyond that. Uh, you know, you tell t- that character could do it ten times, and nine times out of ten would make a different decision, right? But. Uh, yeah, but the, I like how Theo goes down, and you have to pinpoint well, how did that happen. There was there for the briefing, everyone. It's like it was, it was Luke that got him, right? Yeah, and it was so, definitely Luke. So that got almost him. in that way, all the ends tie up. Yeah, and it almost represents a fresh start for Key at the end of the movie. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's really. I, 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 I am not. I know I'm not alone in this when I say that I hope that uh, everybody who listens to this. Even if you've never seen this movie before and you've listened to this entire thing, I am promising you, <laughs> watching it, 
everything we've talked about won't ruin the experience. Oh no, uh, we basically what this has just been is a two-hour love letter to a movie that we find profound in every possible sense of the word. I, I actively remember, I I, cause I caught the trolley home. I'm pretty sure I caught the caught the trolley home that day from the theater, and just I remember sitting on the trolley thinking about what I just watched, mm-hmm. and I just like. How profound, like how much I couldn't get my, I couldn't shake it. And the next day I was thinking about it. Yeah. Like I thought about that movie for a, a pushing about a week. Just, it just moved the fuck out of me. Yeah. So I, I, to, to elaborate on to that, um, you, so you were the one who recommended to see this film to me. And uh, we'd seen the previews and we talked about it. We had, I believe, if I'm correct, we were yeah we were living together. Yeah, we were, it was yeah. 2006. So we yeah. were living. Yeah, we were living together. Yeah. And you're like, Mr. Brown, you have to see this movie. You have to see this movie. And I wanted to see it. And so we made uh, a special time to go see it and uh, an arrangement. And we went, I remember just walking out of that movie theater, uh, and it was at this little theater. And I remember where it was in Washington, Pennsylvania. And there was that little courtyard outside of the box office where there were benches there. And I couldn't, I was like just emotionally and mentally fatigued from this film. And I sat down on this stone bench and just kept thinking about the movie. And you sat next to me silently. And we didn't say a word until the people that we had gone there with, who obviously the movie did not hit them the way that it hit us, uh, broke our concentration and we had to leave. But we sat there in silence and uh, I, like, so I was too young to see Schindler's List in the theater, right? And Mm -hmm. I've seen some powerful movies since then, but I don't think I've ever walked out of a theater and sat in silence outside of the theater. Uh, And I don't know how long we would have sat there had we not been forced to get up, you Mm -hmm. know? So it's one of those pivotal moments yeah, uh, and, and not just story structure, but humanity. Um, but listen, I'm not going to guilt you. Your mother and I are very disappointed if you haven't seen this movie, <laughs> and nothing you will do will ever earn my love or her uh, love or the love of your ancestors, no. all the way back to the beginning to the time before time. But if you've made it this far into our love letter hmm. to what we consider one of the most important, profound, and greatest films of all time then why don't you take the journey into the next episode with us? Because, should I tell them, Doc? Uh, Yeah. Our next journey into the podcast for for next week. We've talked about film. We've talked about the things that have brought us together. But one of the things, the key thing that brought us together as friends is professional wrestling. (laughs) Yeah. And a quick story, and we'll tell all about this uh, when we get into next week's episode. But... When we were uh, but teenagers, uh, Herb decided that he was going to be my friend because we had a similar favorite wrestler. And because of that favorite wrestler, we thought it was very important that next week we're going to cover one of the, if not the absolutely most controversial pro wrestling subject ever, the Montreal Screwjob. It is a ballad of trust, loss... And a business and perspective forever changed. I don't know 
what to expect out of this next episode, to be totally honest with you. It's sort of like, because uh, look, everything that we're going to talk about has been talked about. Mm-hmm. We there, listen, folks. We're not going to bring any sort of. There's going to be no breaking news here. Information. I hate to tell you, but we uh, yes, won't. Yes, yeah. There'll be no insider scoops here. No, but it's, it's just a matter of opinion. Coming up on the 24 year anniversary of the Montreal Screw. It's a long time. It's been a long time. It was, so we've had almost that entire time to argue between ourselves and our opinions. Uh, my opinion has molded and. It is fluid over the years, and I know you have an opinion about this. My opinion really hasn't changed. It hasn't changed no. at all. No, 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 no. So, uh, so our next episode coming up, episode three is going to be the Montreal Screwjob. But wait, because we're going to keep things rolling in a different thing. Because episode four, two weeks from now, expect it here for nothing good. We're going to review from the heart of darkness of children of men in the Montreal Screwjob to perhaps. The most loving docu- concept of video gaming ever. We're going to talk about the Nintendo 64. Mm-hmm. Our favorite games, yeah, our favorite our moments, favorites. our least favorites, too. There's a couple of those. Yeah, pretty fantastic. We'll probably talk about Blockbuster Video several times mm-hmm. throughout all this. We'll see how this goes. And then we're going to round up uh, into Episode 5 with the music category and who we're going to talk about in Episode 5. I want to say we were going to talk about Hybrid Theory. Am I correct? No, we no, are no, not. No, 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 what are we going to no, talk no, about? No. What are we talking about? Eminem. Oh! That's right. Eminem. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know what? I'm gonna we're gonna erase this right now, and I'm gonna say uh, throw it to you. Episode five. What are we gonna talk about? Slim Shady. That's right. Eminem will be episode five. How do we feel about it? How do you feel about it? What are some of the most important moments? Some of the greatest songs? What are some misconceptions? What about? You know, we come from uh, a time where growing up as the peak of Eminem starts, as we're hitting very influential youth time. So. Eminem episode 5. The it's going to be real fun. Oh, it's going to be good. Nintendo 64 episode 4. But join us next week as we dive into professional wrestling with a topic. <laughs> the WWF. It's Montreal, Quebec, Canada. It's November 1997. The year of our Lord. The year of our Lord. <laughs> In the year of our Lord. Bret Hart, yeah. Shawn Michaels. Vince McMahon and an industry forever changed. Forever changed. The Montreal Screwjob. Yes. I Do you lo- want to take one more one more poke at a crappy British accent before we go? Well, there, my name is. I don't have a phrase of fresh. I feel like I choked on my own mustache. <laughs> I, uh, on that note, yeah. Thank you guys for joining us for uh, nothing good, and we're we're hoping that you had some good fun with us, uh, laughed a little bit, and learned a little bit about how our minds work. <laughs> it's a fucking walrus. You just I know a British walrus. <laughs> <laughs> We'll see you next week in the Montreal Screwjob. Yes. Till the next time. Peace. Later.